It's Christmas Eve. It's eight o'clock, and it's such a pleasure to welcome you to a Christmas Eve recollection from the Big Broadcast on WAMU eighty-eight five. Hi, everybody. I'm Murray Horwitz, and in this extraordinary year, holiday traditions take on a special resonance, and we pray a deeper meaning. Well, we're going to try to do our part with some traditions of our own. The Anderson family snowed in on Father Knows Best. Miracle for Christmas from Grand Central Station, Lum and Abner's traditional Christmas story, music and scripture from the Radio Hall of Fame, a mystical holiday visitor to Duffy's Tavern, and two from Jimmy Stewart, a retelling of a Christmas Carol on the Six Shooter, and to top it all off, the Lux Radio Theater production of It's a Wonderful Life. So relax, think about the joys of Christmas past. And imagine yourself there again. Pull up a little closer to the fireplace, and as I always say at this time, if you don't have a fireplace, hey, it's radio. Just imagine you have a fireplace. It's time for a Christmas Eve recollection from the Big Broadcast. To start us off, you may remember that Sunday before last on the big broadcast, we played the show that opened the Great Gildersleeves season in 1948. In it, Throckmorton Gildersleeve returned to his car in a parking lot to discover an adorable, unattended baby in it. The infant became the theme of the series that fall, including a nationwide contest to name the Gildersleeve mystery baby. Well, the plot gimmick paid off a couple of days before Christmas Eve that year. In the episode we're about to hear, it's a remarkable one for several reasons, and one of them is a vocal performance by Lillian Randolph, who plays the housekeeper Bertie. On the rare occasions when Black Americans relegated to servile roles in American entertainment got a chance to break out of those offensive stereotypes, they usually took advantage of them. Listen not only to what Ms. Randolph sings. The beautiful and poignant Coventry Carol, but also to her profound interpretation of it, and the meaning behind it, from December twenty second, nineteen forty eight, and NBC, it's Harold Perry starring in a surprising edition of The Great Gildersleeve. Leroy, the Kraft Foods Company presents Harold Perry as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you by the Kraft Foods Company, makers of Parquet Margarine. Millions of women all over America serve Parquet because it tastes so good. Why Parquet tastes like it should cost twice as much. To market, to market, to get some Parquet. Home again, home again, try it today. You'll like it, you love it, like millions who say their favorite margarine. P A R K A Y. Parquet margarine made by Kraft. Now let's see what's doing at the Great Gildersleeve's house this morning. 
deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa la 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 la. Well, the great man seems as jolly as Santa himself as he and his niece and nephew move the furniture around the parlor to make room for the Christmas tree. Leroy, give me a hand with this couch. I'll lift and you shove. Okay, Uncle. I'll hold down the rug, Uncle. All right, Marjorie. Leroy, on the count of three, push. One, two. Leroy, I thought you were going to push. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's far enough anyway, Anki. It's more room than we had last year. Well, we need more room. It's baby's first Christmas, so we're going to have a bigger tree than we've ever had. Oh, that'll be wonderful. You bet. Her real parents may not be around to provide these things, but by George, it's going to be a Christmas she'll remember. At nine months? I don't remember anything till I was six years old. I could answer that, Leroy, but I feel too good this morning. <laughs> Well, better get going after that tree. Hey, Uncle, can I go along? Sure, Leroy. We'll need a lot of hands to get this tree home. Oh, boy. Well, if you get a larger tree, we'll need an extra string of lights. Lights. Oh, yes. I'll pick them up at Peavy's when I go downtown. Anki, can I invite Francie and the gang over when we light the tree? We'll have a party. Yeah, and can I ask Piggy and Craig? Now, children, this Christmas Eve is going to be different. It's going to be just for the little family and Miss Fairchild. Miss Fairchild? Well, of course, Leroy. We're engaged, you know. She's almost a member of the family. I think a little family party is a good idea. And, Unky, when you get the tree, don't forget to buy some mistletoe. Mistletoe? Well, if you think it'll make a nice decoration around the house, I'll get some. Of course, it doesn't make any difference to me. <laughs> Leroy? <laughs> get your overshoes on and let's get going after that tree. Okay. Uh, see you later, Marjorie. Better say goodbye to the baby before I go. Uh, Bertie's giving her a bath upstairs. Yes, I know. Deck the halls with boughs of mistletoe. Fa la 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 la. <laughs> Hold still now, baby. Let Bertie wash your back. Well, you seem to have your hands full, Bertie. <laughs> I sure have, Mr. Gilchrist. Hello, baby. Kitchy coo. Are you enjoying your bath this morning? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're getting to be quite a splasher, aren't you? <laughs> oh! Sud, right in my eye. <laughs> I better get out of here before I get the bath. Bye-bye, baby. I'm on my way to get your first Christmas tree. I saw some fine trees down at the corner market, Mr. Gilsley. Oh, well, thanks, Bertie, but Judge Hooker asked me to buy our Christmas tree from a friend of his. Young man, he's helping to get started here in town. Well, that's nice of the judge. How many people are you going to have over this Christmas Eve, Mr. Gilsleeve? I'd like to know how many to fix for. This year, Bertie, they'll be just the family and Miss Fairchild. You mean none of your downtown friends are dropping in? I'll ask them over sometime during the holidays, but I'm not inviting any extra people for Christmas Eve. I didn't think they needed much of an invitation. Well, Christmas Eve is going to be different this year, Bertie. Just for the little family. Even Santa Claus won't get in. Unless he has a pass. <laughs> Yeah, the lot's full of them. What color are we going to get this year? White, blue, purple, or pink? We're going to get green, Leroy. It's baby's first Christmas, and we don't want to scare her. Now, where is the judge's friend? Maybe that's him waiting on that lady. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Hey, how about this tree, Uncle? Huh? It's a whopper. How about it? Our tree doesn't have to be that tall, Leroy. They charge with a foot, you know. But, Uncle. All right, let's see the price tag. Seven dollars. They must be charging per needle. 
Well, after Christmas, we want to feel that we can afford to throw it away, Leroy. (laughs) Come on, my boy, let's get out of the tall timber. Gosh, I want a big tree. Well, leave it to me, Leroy. Now then, here's one that looks about right for our little parlor. Not as tall, but it's nice and chubby. Well filled out in the top. How about it, Leroy? Yeah, not bad, Unc. Sure, this is the one for us. And the price is only... Still, Leroy, when you stand back and look at it, maybe it isn't quite the tree for us. What do the tags say? Ten dollars. It's a prettier tree, though. Well, did you find one you like? Oh, are you Bob Clark? Yes, I am. Well, I'm Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, city water commissioner. Yes, I know. You do? It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, pleasure to meet you. This is my nephew, Leroy. Hello, Leroy. Hi. Uh, Judge Hooker asked us to come down and have a look at your trees. Well, that's a fine tree you're looking at. It's a silver tip. Uh, for $10, it must be silver-plated. <laughs> <laughs> well, like everything else, tree prices are a little high, I guess. Let's take it, Uncle. What do you say, huh? Well... I think it's a pick of the lot, Mr. Gildersleeve. The judge said you should have a tree like this. Oh, the judge did, did he? I think the judge is right, Unc. Oh, for... Can't the judge let me pick out my own Christmas tree? What an old busybody. Well, uh, you, you well, see... Well, I'll the... take it. Here's your ten dollars. Oh, no. No, uh... That's been taken care of, Mr. Gildersleeve. It has? Uh, judge Hooker asked for the bill. He said to say Merry Christmas to you and your family. Well, fine old fellow, the judge. <laughs> I certainly think so. It isn't everyone who'll do as much for a fellow as the judge has done for me. Huh? He's even found me a good job in a market starting the first of the year. Yeah, that's the judge, all right. None better. I'll carry the tree over to the car for you, Mr. Gildersleeve, and help you tie it on. Oh, uh, thank you, Bob. Uh, he's a nice fellow, isn't he, Leroy? Yeah. Yeah, nice thing the judge did, too. But he shouldn't have bought our tree. He's always so helpful around the holidays when he gets lonesome. Leroy, I told you and Marjorie we weren't going to invite anybody over at Christmas Eve, but what do you say we make one exception and invite the judge? Sure. He always brings swell presents. Yeah. <laughs> Leroy, that's not the spirit. Wonder what he'll bring me. <laughs> Hurry up, Floyd. I could shave myself faster than this. What's a rush, Commish? Rome wasn't burned in a day. Uh, I have things to do, Floyd. I want to get some lights for my Christmas tree before they're all gone. Hey, well, let me catch that stray whisker on your chin. Mm-hmm. There. Uh, got a pretty nice tree, Commish? You bet. Uh-huh. I can't wait to see the baby's eyes light up when she sees it. It's her first Christmas, you know. Sort of like the kid, don't you, Commish? Well, she'll do. How long's it been since you found her in the back of your car? It's been about three months now, I guess. She's about nine months old, Floyd. That's a great age. Funny you never heard anything from the parents. It'll be all right with me if we don't. They're just like a member of our little family now. Yeah, kids kind of get you all right. Okay, Commissioner, you're finished. That's all we can do for that face without plastic surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, You uh, have an open house this year, Commissioner? Uh, no, Floyd. Uh, I decided this Christmas Eve would be just for the family. You understand? Oh, sure, yeah. Kind of hoped we'd get together and sing carols, but if you ain't having any outsiders in, I understand. 
Mm, well, I may as well tell you, Floyd. The judge is coming over. Oh? Judge, huh? Well, you see, Floyd, I just had to invite him. He gave us the tree. Uh-huh. Hey, I must kill the sleeve, you're through. Yeah, but, Floyd, the judge paid $10 for that tree. I couldn't ignore that. Of course, I'm just a hard-working barber. What? We always got together in the past, but if you're throwing a party and just letting in the upper crust, ten bucks cover charge, I guess that lets me out. <laughs> Floyd, it isn't that at all. It's okay. Floyd, don't look so sad. Well... You know how it is with a judge. He never has any place to go on Christmas Eve. Well, the missus has a choir rehearsal at the church that night, and I don't have any place to go either. But that's okay. You don't find little Floydy Munson crashing in where he ain't wanted. Oh, my goodness. Floyd, how would you like to drop by my house Christmas Eve? Well, if you really want me. Sure. Okay, Commish, what time? Gildersleeve, the trouble with you is you can't say no. Well, while I'm at it, I guess I should invite Peavy and Chief Gates. No. Peavy's mother-in-law is in town, and if he brought her, I... No, sir. Peavy's out. I just won't say anything to Peavy and the Chief. Nothing at all. I'll invite him over New Year's to listen to the Rose Bowl game. <laughs> well, hello, Peavy. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> What can I do for you this morning? Peavy, I need a string of Christmas tree lights. Oh, you must be going to have a Christmas tree. <laughs> yes, Peavy. Leroy and I got a fine one this morning. Have you bought yours yet? Well, we're not having a tree this year. We're having Mrs. Peavy's mother instead. <laughs> what? We always have to forego a tree when Mother Higgins comes for the holidays. They make her sneeze. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well, that's too bad, Peavy. Now, let's see your lights. Very well. They're over at this counter, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes, I always like to be around a tree for a little while come Christmas Eve. You're going to have one, you say? Well, yes, Peavy. Uh, say, you have quite a collection of lights. Uh, which type do you recommend? Well... How about uh, these round ones? They're very nice if you like the round ones. Mm-hmm. How about these pointed ones? They're nice. They have their points... <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, Peavy, here's something new. Bubble candles. Are they any good? They bubble. <laughs> Peavy, you're quite a salesman. I can't resist you. I'll take a string of the ones that bubble. The baby will like those. But I'd like to test them first. Very well. You hold up the string and I'll plug you in. There. Yeah, look, Peavy, they bubble. That's what it's saying. Well, what's going on here? Oh, hello, Judge. Oh, hello, Judge. Gentlemen. My, that's a pretty sight, Gildy. With all those lights draped around you, you look just like a big, fat Christmas tree. <laughs> Horace, I don't know how you can be such an old goat and such a nice guy at the same time. That was wonderful of you to buy the tree for our little family. Happy to do it, Gildy. And by the way... I saw Leroy, and he extended me your kind invitation to come... Judge, we'll discuss that later. What's the matter, Gildy? Is it such a big secret that you've invited me over for Christmas Eve? Isn't everybody coming? <laughs> Would uh, you gentlemen like me to step in the back room? Yeah. <laughs> Peavy, we're having just a quiet family Christmas Eve. But the judge presented us with a tree, and we appreciate it, so we invited him over. Well, how much are the lights? How much? 
It's Christmas, Mr. Gildersleeve. I'd like to present you with these lights, compliments of Peavy's Pharmacy. Oh, for... Peavy, how would you like to drop in for a little while Christmas Eve? Are you sure I won't be one too many? Oh, no. In fact, I might as well invite Chief Gates, too. By the way, Gildy, I wonder if I could bring someone. Judge, this is just a family party for the baby and the kids. And Adeline, of course. And you and Floyd and Peavy and the Chief. Oh, well, bring him along. <laughs> Who is it? If I may, I'd like to bring the young man you got the tree from. You mean Bob, uh, whatchamacallit? Mm, Bob Clark. Splendid young man. Veteran. Recently lost his wife. Has no friends in the community as yet, and it'd be a nice gesture, Gildy, if you admitted him to your family circle on Christmas Eve. Well, all right, Judge. I sort of like Bob. Bring him along. What the heck? It's Christmas. That's very nice of you, Gildy. The more the merrier, they say. Yes, yes. <laughs> Peavy, I suppose you want to bring your mother-in-law, too. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Let's get back to the great Gildersleeve. He'd planned to confine this Christmas Eve just to the family circle. But, as usual, he has widened the circle to include all his friends. It's after dinner now, and the great Gildersleeve sits before the tree with baby Romery on his lap, enjoying a quiet hour before the guests arrive. Ah, uh, uh, by George, there's no time like Christmas. It certainly is nice to have you with us, baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're cute. I don't know how we'd ever get along without you. See all those presents there under the tree? A lot of them are for you. <laughs> There's some for Leroy, some for Marjorie and Bertie. But do you know what my Christmas present is this year? <laughs> yeah, that's right, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, sir, baby, you're the biggest thing that ever happened to me. Here, a private party? Oh, no, Marjorie. We're waiting for you and Leroy. Where is he? Hi, Unc. What's up? It's time for our little family get-together, Leroy, before the guests arrive. Unky, who's this Bob Clark the judge is bringing over? A young fellow the judge is helping to get started. He's a little old for you, Marjorie. Well, hand me the book, my dear. It's time to read Was the Night Before Christmas to you children. You're going to read that again, Unc? Of course. <laughs> Naturally, Leroy. I do it every year, remember? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's a tradition in this household, and we're going to observe it. Anyone who doesn't want to hear it can just leave. Okay, I'll go upstairs. You will not. <laughs> you'll stay right here and listen, and you'll enjoy it. You understand? Sure. Here's the book. Thank you. You see, baby? There's a picture of Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, you sort of like chubby fellows, don't you? Now then, are we all settled? I am. Leroy? Sure. If you get stuck, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my boy. Now, it uh, um, was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care. Hey, I wonder if Bertie had lent me a pair. Yep. <laughs> Leroy, please. Well, then where were we? Oh, yes. 
The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. sleigh to his team gave a whistle and away they all flew like the down off a thistle <laughs> but i heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight happy, happy christmas, christmas to all and, and to all, all a good night, night. Oh, thank you my dear hi george that's a great poem i love it yeah not bad unc <laughs> look the little baby's asleep better take her up to bed marjorie we'll bring her down when we light the tree huh all right unky Come to Marjorie, baby. Uh-oh, here they come. Well, don't open the door till I get her upstairs. All right, Leroy, go put your coat on. The guests are coming. Okay, I'll... Coming. Well, is this where St. Nicholas lives? <laughs> come on in, Judge. Nice to see you. Look at all the packages. And Bob. Well, I didn't see you back there. Merry Christmas, my boy. Merry Christmas, Mr. Gildersleeve. It's awfully nice of you to invite me. Are you sure I won't be one too many? No, the more the merrier. Besides, you can help me, Bob. I can? You bet. We need a tall young fellow to put the star at the top of the tree. Well, fine. <laughs> Judge, you know where to hang your earmuffs. Yeah. <laughs> Take Bob's coat. And, Bob, you come with me. Sure thing, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, say, uh, where do you want me to put this little present I brought for the baby? A present for the baby? Oh, you shouldn't have done it. Uh-uh, business is getting good. Excuse me, Bob. By George, this is the way to spend Christmas Eve. Let's light the tree. Yes, Commissioner. I have to get down and relieve the desk sergeant so he can go home and play Santa Claus. Well, I'm sorry, Chief, but Adeline isn't here yet. Hey, that's right. By the way, Gilday, before everyone arrives, I'd like to have a word with you about Bob. <laughs> about Bob? Yes, Gilday. The reason I'm so interested in this young man... Tell is... me later, Judge. That must be Adeline. Hey, gang, it's Miss Fairchild. Let's everybody get under some mistletoe and see which one she smacks first. <laughs> Careful, Floyd, or you'll get the smack from me. <laughs> Adeline, come in. I'm sorry I'm late, Throckmorton, but I wanted to get all pretty up for the party. Yeah, don't be sorry about a thing. It's Christmas Eve. All together now. Merry Christmas! To you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Mr. Peavy. Gracious, what a reception. Why, certainly. A very pretty young lady. Come on, Adeline. I want you to see the tree. Care to stand over here by me, Miss Fatchild? Oh, thank you, Mr. Munson. But I see that mistletoe behind your ear. Oh, 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 oh. She's on to you, Floyd. I think I'll just sit over here by Mr. Peavy where I'll be safe. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Phoebe. Oh, Throckmorton, I think the tree is beautiful. Yeah, silver tip. <laughs> it's pretty all right. We have the old judge to thank for that. <laughs> hey, come on. Come on, everybody. Let's have another song. Okay, one chorus for Adeline. Come on, fellas. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Fa-la-la-la-la-la-la. Tis the season to be jolly. fa la 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 Troll the 
ancient Yuletide carol. We'll have to learn that sometime. <laughs> okay, let's light the baby's tree now. Huh? Well, shall I get her for you, Uncle Morris? No, Marjorie, I'd like to bring her down myself. Well, I think Mr. Clark's up there with her now. Bob? He is? Uh-huh, he asked to see her, and she was awake anyway, so I thought it'd be all right. Oh, sure. Well, gather around the tree, everybody. I'll be right back. There's another batch of popcorn bowls. Oh, boy, come and get it. Yeah, Leroy, save one for me. Uh, yes, sir, there's no time like Christmas. Great little party. Gildy. Huh? What is it now, Judge? I want to talk to you about Bob. Judge, you've already talked to me. He's a fine young fellow. And after the first of the year, I promised to trade at his market. Now are you satisfied? Gildy. You better get back to the party before the popcorn's all gone. (laughs) (laughs) Just listen to the fun they're having down there. Gildersleeve, you're a mighty lucky man. Good friends and a fine little family. Marjorie, little Leroy... And our little baby. Yes, sir. This is the best Christmas Eve I've ever had. Well, Bob must have brought her a music box. I'll peek in and see how they're getting along. Well, baby doll, I'm glad you like the music box. Well, uh, look at him in there. I, I hope I can give you a lot of presents as you grow older. Hmm. That is, if... If Mr. Gildersleeve will give you back to me. Give her back? And I think he will. He's a swell fellow, baby doll. If I hadn't been sure of that, I I never would have left you in his car. That sounds like a terrible thing to do, doesn't it? But after we lost your mother, I I didn't know what to do. All I could think of was to get you in a good home where you'd be loved and cared for. While I went away and tried to get straightened out. Well, when you get a little older, I'll I'll try to explain it to you. So that's what the judge was trying to tell me. I hope Mr. Gildersleeve will see it our way. It'll be pretty much up to him whether or not you come back to your daddy. But I can make a home for you now. And your grandmother's coming. You'll like her. My little baby. He can't take her away from me. Why did he have to come back here? Are you ready, Yucky? We're waiting. Gildy, where are you going? I'm going for a walk. Gildy, wait for me. investigation of Bob and the circumstances surrounding the case. Bringing you together seemed the only thing to do, Gildy. The hard part, of course, was trying to tell you. I'm sorry, Gildy. You've been very considerate, Horace. Of all of us. Now it's up to you to decide what you want to do about it. I know, Horace. I know. You could put up a fight for her. Let's go back in the house, Judge, before we both catch pneumonia. I know what I'm going to do. I needed some air, Leroy. Well, hurry, Yankee. Bertie's going to sing her lullaby. Oh, well, fine. Mr. Gildersleeve? Huh? Oh. What is it, Bob? Wouldn't you 
like to hold the baby? Yes, Mom, I think I would. Thank you. Uh, little baby. wanted to make sure our little baby had a wonderful first Christmas. Well, it's turned out to be more wonderful than any of us ever anticipated. The baby's father has joined us on this Christmas Eve. He's a fine young man, and I know he'll provide a good home for the baby. Here you are, Bob, your little daughter. Thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve, for everything. Thank you very much. Oh, Mr. Gilstreet. Now, Bertie, it isn't as though we won't be seen. She'll be right here in town. Well, what's everybody so quiet about? This is a very happy Christmas for all of us. Father and his daughter have just been reunited. Let's light the tree and sing our carol. Anything you say, Commissioner. Gildy, this is a big thing you've done tonight. Monkey, I'm so proud of you. Now, my dear. Gosh, I'm going to miss the little kid. Leroy, stay close to me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Merry Christmas, and God bless you. uncharacteristically dramatic ending to The Great Gildersleeve from two days before Christmas Eve in 1948, here on a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast over WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Many of our Christmas Eve and Christmas night recollections favorites, oh yes, we'll be back here tomorrow night at 8 with more, it turns out were favorites back in the day as well, and they were repeated every year, or almost every year, during the holidays. The series Grand Central Station offered its Christmas story every year for some ten years. We're going to hear the 1949 version of the show. That was the year the sponsor, the Pillsbury Flour Mills Company, had started something called the Grand National Recipe and Baking Contest, soon to become famous 
as the Pillsbury Bake Off. You'll hear the well-known radio personality Galen Drake offer the prize-winning recipes if you'll send the company a penny postcard. As I say, it was 1949. Well, you needn't go to all that expense. We have links to the recipes for you for free on our Facebook page, The Big Broadcast. From Christmas Eve 1949 and CBS, it's the perennial Miracle for Christmas from Grand Central Station. From New York, Pillsbury's Best Enriched Flour brings you Grand Central Station. traditional Christmas play. A drama you will long remember. This is Galen Drake. And before we get into our Christmas story, I want to say just a word about the three top prize-winning recipes in Pillsbury's Grand National Recipe and Baking Contest. The grand prize was awarded for a recipe for Pillsbury's $50,000 no-need water-rising twist. The second prize of $10,000 was for Starlight Mint Surprise Cookies. And the third prize of $4,000 was for a chocolate cake, Aunt Carrie's Bon Bon Cake. Now, there's $64,000 worth of prize-winning recipes. Recipes won with Pillsbury's Best Flour. Now, as you know, you always bake your best with Pillsbury's Best, and... And we have those three recipes ready for you now, and we'll be glad to send them to you. You just drop a penny postcard to Ann Pillsbury, Prize Recipe Department, Minneapolis 2, Minnesota. And she'll send you your copy. Ann Pillsbury, Prize Recipe Department, Minneapolis 2, Minnesota. After the train from Albany pulled in, no one, not a single person, actually saw the young man with soft brown hair 
and soft brown eyes come through the gate. Still unseen, he walks the length of the great waiting room. Now strangely tranquil as travel ebbs on Christmas Eve. Quietly, he goes out the door, down the street, and then up the broad marble stairs of the hospital. When the girl at the switchboard turns to him... What can I do for you, sir? Without saying a word, he gives her a card. She's startled by the name on it and instantly announces him to the hospital superintendent. Dr. Mason is here to see you. Mason? Dr. Mason who applied for an internship? Yes, Dr. Garrett, it is Dr. Mason from Albany. But that... But that's impossible. Shall I ask him about the telegram? No, no, no. No, I'll do it. Send him in, please. Yes, sir. Uh, Dr. Garrett will see you, sir. First door to the left. Dr. Garrett. Dr. Mason? You are Dr. Mason? I'm sorry that I was delayed, Dr. Garrett. Well, I... But just ten minutes ago, I... Yes. Ten minutes ago, you received a telegram. Well, that's right. I know. From your mother. I know. But, man, I... Why, look at it. It says that you... That I was killed. Do you mind if I tear up that telegram, Dr. Garrett? Well, I... I don't understand. I, I was so unnerved by that wire. I, I counted so much on your being here tonight, Christmas Eve, a night always busy with calls. You are short of interns. Oh, yes. Mason, these are the slums. Walk through block after block and you won't see a doctor shingle. Not one. The people here are too poor. They know only one healer, the intern and his ambulance. And tonight, night of mercy and goodwill, they would have cried out in vain... Well, now that you've come, I won't have to say to the suffering, wait, wait. There's only one ambulance tonight, and that's out on a call. Wait and suffer. I have no one to send to you because Dr. Mason was killed. Uh, uh, it's good that you're here, Mason. It, it's good. It's good to be here, Dr. Garrett. Well, you better get started. Take this slip down to the storeroom, see that they give you a warm sheepskin coat. Thank you. And a pair of mittens. From there, you go to the ambulance room. I'll have your driver waiting for you. His name is Mac. My name is Mac. The chief says I drive your crate tonight. Crate? Crate, jalopy, sick buggy, ambulance, take your pick. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> you green interns, you're all the same. The first time you spy a ambulance, your eyes pop wide like you've seen a heavenly chariot or something. Not me. I've been driving this old baby for eight rotten years. An ambulance, Mac, is a sacred thing. It is a chariot of mercy. Uh-oh, two bells, that says... Come on, Mason, that's your first call. 234 South Street. 234 South Street. 234 South Street. Look, pal, help me out by watching out for cars cutting in at the cross streets. We don't stop for no red lights. Doc, what did I tell you? Watch it or we'll both be killed. Holy cow, you new interns. You're all alike. You're always dreaming. You put on the white coat and pants and your head goes up in the clouds. Why are you so bitter, Mac? Why shouldn't I be bitter? If it wasn't for you, I'd be home with the wife right now. 
You truly believe that only because of me... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you hadn't showed up to Sam Valencia, be parked in the garage for crying out loud. I would have had the night off like on a decent job. To you, driving an ambulance is just a job like any other? Yeah, nothing but. Boy, will I be glad when the shift is over. But, Mac, this is Christmas Eve. You're telling me. This is one night at least you could forget that driving an ambulance is a job. This one night, you could look upon it as an errand of mercy. An errand of mercy? <laughs> you know where we're going? To help someone afflicted. Afflicted? Afflicted with alcohol, you mean? I'll give you two to one and we're making a stew call. Stew call? Yeah, Mason. We're risking our next terror through traffic to give some drunk a whiff of smelling sauce. Any man who cries out for help, whether he be brimful of drink or empty of blood... His call shall be answered. Yes, yes, you. Here's your bag, Doc. Thank you, Mac. I won't need it. But he's out cold, Mason. Come on, give him a whip of the stuff. Quick and we blow. Quiet, Mac. Come now. Open your eyes, sir. <laughs> because the drunk, sir. Look, ah! Mason, here's the spirit of ammonia. Hold it under his nose, will you? <laughs> that always wakes him up. Quiet, Mac. <sighs> Come, sir. Open your eyes. That's right, uh, mate. You just talk uh, pretty to him and he'll open his eyes. Uh, where am I? <laughs> Why is everybody laughing? What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. Just put your arm around my shoulder. That's it. Now, let me help you to stand up straight. There. Now, you feel better? Why, I... Suddenly, I feel all right. I feel fine. My head is so clear. Of course, of course. All you needed was to stand on your own two feet. To be strong. Be of good cheer. Gosh, Doc. That's... Sure, wonderful medicine you give me. Madison, what kind of gag you pulling? He didn't give you no medicine. There was nothing the matter with you. You toss off a beer and you lay down in the street like you're out calling. We waste an ambulance on you. I got a mind to take a poke at That'll you. be enough, Mac. Tell me, sir, what is your name? Well, if it's all the same to you... Come on, come on, come on, come on. Give me your name. He's got to make out his report. Pete Lanton, doctor... Peter, you won't lose faith again. You will stand up, self-reliant, and you will face life courageously and with new hope. Come on, Mason. We ain't got all night. Let's get going. Doc, Doc. Yes, Peter? Uh, a Merry Christmas to you, Doc. Thank you, sir. Dr. Mason, I'd like to speak to you. Yes. Mason, Mac tells me you didn't even open your bag on your first call. No, it wasn't necessary. Well, now, don't misunderstand me, Mason. I, I can't begin to tell you how thankful I am that you're with us this evening, but... Uh... But from now on, I'm not to use suggestion. 
or whatever it was you did use, please follow standard materia medica in treating your cases. We... You're... You're not offended. Of course not. Oh, that's fine, Dr. Mason. That... Oh, that's your call again. Third floor. 19 Water Street, third floor. 19 Water Street, third floor. Well, Mac, you seem to be good at guessing. You were right the last time. What sort of call is this one going to be? There's no guessing, it's experience. This time it's no trunk. Oh? What do you think it is? A birth. Or maybe a debt. Christmas Eve. And someone is to live or die. It is better that one should live on Christmas Eve. Mac, let it be a birth we're going to. No difference to me, Doc. A birth or a debt. I just try. How long have you been doing it, Mac? Ah. Oh, like I told you. Eight rotten years, that's how long. What you call eight rotten years were truly eight glorious years, filled with service to your fellow men. Cut the chatter, Mason. This is it. Number 19 is Red Frick House upstairs. Come on, make a snap here. Third floor rear. Tears on Christmas Eve, young man. I'm afraid you're too late. Uh, you thought I'd be a place you're wrong, Mason. It sure looks Wait, like... Wait, Mac. Don't say it. No, no. Perhaps we're not too late. Tell me, how is the mother? She's all right. But our baby... Yes, your baby. Crippled. Terribly crippled. I, I. We prayed for our child to be born on Christmas Eve. We. We thought we'd be so happy tonight. Come now, come. No tears. Not on Christmas Eve. I'll have a look at the infant. Wait here, please. Make a snappy, Mason. That Garrett's always nervous when all the ambulances are out. Uh, it's only nine o'clock. Hey, what's the idea of bringing a kid out here? Oh, but... Let me hold him, Doctor. Please. Of course. There. There you are. Ah, the child knows his father. Yes. He knows me. He knows me. But he'll hate me when he's old enough to realize it. Doctor. Yes? His arms. His arms. What about the kid's arms? They're straight. Straight as arrows. So what? But but before, they were terribly twisted. Both his arms were terribly crippled. You can see for yourself the child is normal. But, but I tell you, before, when I looked at... Where they were twisted. And now... You were under great tension. Perhaps your imagination... Yes. 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 Oh, my little son. Aren't 
tiny fingers. So tiny. <laughs> and now go in and tell your wife truthfully that her baby is normal in every way. Show her. Yes. Yes. We both look forward to a happy Christmas Eve. It is. Remember, tears are not for Christmas Eve. Hey. Ah, come on, Mason. Forget all that good fairy stuff. This fella's hopped up enough as is. Let's go. Yes, Mac. Oh, doctor. Yes? Oh, uh, uh, Merry... Merry Christmas, doctor. Thank you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Yes, Dr. Garrett, you've been looking for yes, me. Yes, sir. Oh, um, only one bell. Go on, Dr. Garrett. Well, I must speak to you, Mason, about, about the telegram. Yes. The telegram which said that Dr. Mason was killed. The one you said was a mistake. Did I, Dr. Garrett? I've just spoken to the center of that telegram. I have just finished talking to Dr. Mason's mother on the long-distance telephone. That's my call. I'm sorry, I no, must go, Dr. Now, wait, wait, man, wait. I want to talk to you. Listen to me, please. Dr. Mason was killed. Do you hear Three hours before you walked into my office, he was killed while driving to the Albany Railroad Station. And his mother saw him die. Well, Mac, what is this call going to be? Uh, uh, a birth or a death? I don't know, Mason, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this one. There, there, there's something about this call that... Give me a funny chill all of a sudden. Because it's in your neighborhood. Ah. Well, what do you think this call is going to be? Because it is your wife. Ellie. Is this job a rotten job, Mac? Now that you can rush a doctor to her side, is this ambulance still a crate? Now that it's speeding to answer your own wife's cry of pain. Stop that kind of talk, will you? You're trying to make me think something's happened, Ellie. But I ain't afraid. I'll say it again. Dad, driving this crate is still a job and a bum one at that. And the eight years... Rotten years. Wasted years. Could have had my own garage and repair business. I'd be in the chips today instead of... Yes, you would have made more money. Instead of risking my neck driving all night, twisting in and out of help pillars, skidding on slippery car tracks. Why, Mac? Why did you do it? How many times I gotta tell you that nothing in this whole cockeyed world could have kept me sitting back at this wheel except my wife... If it wasn't for earlier... What's the matter, Mac? Uh, nothing, I guess. That house we just passed, that was ours. And, uh... uh the lights are ours. Is that unusual? No, no. It just means Ellie ain't home. She... She, uh... She's probably going down to the corner as far as the drugstore. Yeah, Ellie walks the dog there. Every night about this time. And... And... Yes, Mac? The call we're going to is that drugstore. Yes, Mac. Mason, you got a hunch what it is. Tell me what it is. It is not a birth, Mac. Let me through! Let me through! I get it! Ellie! Ellie! It's Ellie! Mason, do something! You gotta do something! Please! Please! We will take her to the hospital, Mac.
get ready. Yes, you heard. The other ambulance just went out. Are you crazy? My wife is upstairs in the operating room, and you expect me to leave the hospital? To go out and drive? There are people who need us, Mac. Our work tonight is not yet finished. But Ellie needs me. What do I care about other people? There are people, Mac, who will cry out for help. As your wife did, we will answer. Not me. I ain't moving. It is Christmas Eve, Mac. Christmas Eve. What a Christmas present I got. <laughs> Six four West Street. It's our turn, Mac. Six four West Street. All right, Mason. But this is my last trip for the night. No, not for the night. Forever. I'm through, do you hear? All washed up for good. (laughs) I'm terribly sorry, Mac. We did the best that we could. Dying? Ellie's dying? And I... She she asked for you, Mac. Just once. It was while you were out on that West Street call. Then she lapsed into coma. Ellie? Ellie? Isn't there a chance, Doc Garrett? I... I doubt it. While I'm out with the crepe, my wife calls for me, and now she's unconscious. Think of others. Think of others, he said, because it's Christmas Eve. What are you going to say now, Mason? You took me from me. You made me go out and drive that rotten ambulance. Well, shoot. Shoot. <laughs> you went to help others. To bring aid to the suffering. What a consolation that is. Remember how the old woman blessed you. With tears in her eyes. Oh, I can't think of nothing. But Ellie's gone. You with your big ideas and your fine speeches. What do you know about sorrow and suffering? All that there is to know, my son. Just, just now, when you when you said that for a for a second, you got old. You, you look more than a thousand years old. God, I must be seeing things like Con is leaving me, and I'm crazy. Crazy with grief and sorrow. Grief and sorrow for you. Yet how much you did to relieve others of that pain. It, 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 it's funny, Mason, but... Yes, Mac? What, when, when you said those words, I, I... I thought of my eight years. The eight rotten years. And, and they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't seem so bad... Not anymore. Now I... I I, I, kind of like him. Sorrow worketh repentance. You should, Mac. You should glory in them. Eight years of bringing a healer, healer to the suffering. Eight years of rushing the torn and the smash to the hands of the mender. Yeah. Your words, they just, they just, they just take the pain right out of me. They, They just draw it out. Now that your work for this night is finished, Mac, I will walk home with you. Go home? While Elliot... (laughs) Yes. Okay, if you say so, Mason. But for the life of me, I don't know why I'd take your word. 
What a rotten break I got on Christmas Eve. You love her a great deal, don't you? Yeah. Soon, it will be midnight. A merry Christmas. How did she greet you each night when you returned from your driving? How did Ellie... Why, why do you ask that, Mason? Tell me, Mac. I want you to say it. Well, she... Tell me. She, she's like a, like a happy, anxious kid. She, she'd go out and put on a porch light. Didn't matter even if the weather was terrible. I used to boil her out for it. Tell her she'd catch pneumonia. But, but she'd always put on a porch light and stand outside there waiting for... Waiting for her shining knight returning from his errands of mercy. As soon as she'd see me come around the next corner, she'd call to me. And now, will you continue your driving? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sticking to it, Mason. Even though Ellie won't be around, I, I'm sticking. This is your corner. Yeah. Look to your house, my son. The light? A porch light, it's on. Mason! Your eyes! Mason! Mason! Where are you? Look to your house, my son. No! It, it can't be! Give me. I did not know who you were. have just heard the sixth annual Pillsbury presentation of Grand Central Station's traditional Christmas drama. In a moment, I'll return with the names of the players who gave such an inspired performance. This is Galen Drake, bringing you a Christmas greeting from Mr. Philip W. Pillsbury, president of Pillsbury Mills. It reads, Throughout the entire world, this Christmas tide, families are gathered in prayer and festivity. Christmas started when a child was born into a family many centuries ago. And the families of the world have perpetuated the Christmas spirit. Fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters. United always in the hope that peace on earth, goodwill to men, will someday blanket the world. Only when the true spirit of Christmas stays with us every day shall we know the peace on earth that angels sang about so long ago. 
I extend a greeting to your family from the people who make up the Pillsbury family. And it's a big family. Signed, Philip W. Pillsbury. Our play, Miracle for Christmas, was written by Jay Bennett. Our stars, Mason Adams, Mac, and Ralph Clanton as Dr. Mason. Gilbert Mack was featured as the young father, Walter Grise as Dr. Garrett, Madeline Pierce as the baby, with the music by Lou White and Burley Mills. Next week, the tender, affectionate drama of the young reporter whose human interest New Year's story never got printed because instead of writing it, he lived it. Our cast is headed by the three top featured players of Broadway's smash hit, Death of a Salesman, Cameron Mitchell, Mildred Dunnock, and Howard Smith. Now, this is your Grand Central Station narrator, Ken Roberts, wishing you for all the Pillsbury folks a very Merry Christmas. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Miracle for Christmas, a holiday tradition on the series Grand Central Station, this iteration from December 24, 1949, and a holiday tradition here on a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast. A very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all from me, Murray Horwitz, our co-producer Jill Arold Bailey, our audio engineer Douglas Bell, and everyone here at WAMU Washington. We're your listener-supported NPR news station from American University. In, ooh, from American University. In HD at 88.5, at WRAU 88.3 Ocean City, on your smart speaker, and online at WAMU.org. Among the perennial radio Christmas favorites, there's one so elegant and so classic that all I need to say is, from December 25, 1944, it's the traditional Christmas story from the NBC Blue Network and the series Lum and Abner. The Miles Laboratories of Elkhart, Indiana, makers of Alka-Seltzer and one-a-day brand vitamins, invite you now to listen to Lum and Abner's special annual Christmas program. Christmas season, Lum and Abner and their sponsors have wished that they might do something for you, their radio friends, that would add still more pleasure and enjoyment to the occasion. With this thought in mind, your old Pine Ridge friends are repeating their traditional Christmas program. Like the story of the Nativity itself, Lum and Abner's Christmas story has become more beautiful and meaningful with the passing of the years. It was in 1933 that they first told this simple legend of a humble event that took place here in America, in Pine Ridge. A tale which reflects the story of Bethlehem's wondrous miracle. And now, once more, we invite you to listen to Lum and Abner's Christmas story. As we look in on the little community of Pine Ridge now... A picture of complete peace and contentment greets our eyes. It's a clear, still evening this Christmas tide night, and the whole countryside is wrapped in a clean white blanket of snow, which has fallen rather heavily all day long. 
Here and there on the deserted streets, we see an occasional home where the lights of a Christmas tree in the front window still twinkle in the dark of the night. As we pass through town and come to the outskirts, we catch up with three old fellows trudging along through the snow on the road which leads from Pine Ridge out into the countryside. Getting closer, we see they are Lum, Abner, and Grandpappy Spears. And as we join them, we find that they are on a real Christmas mission. Listen. You're sure we're headed right now, are you, Grandpap? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this is the way. See, Doc Miller rode his horse over here. You see his tracks there in the snow. Well, it must be the old Gaddis place, then. That's just about where it's at. But they ain't nothing but the barn left over there, though. That house burnt down two or three years ago. Well, Doc says it's due east from that road where we turned off there. Due east, huh? Which way is east? I ain't paid no attention to the direction. Well, wait a minute. Whereabouts is the east star? Hey, there it is right ahead of us. Yeah, yeah, we're going right, man. Don't worry about that. Yeah, we can just follow the East Star. Yeah, that ought to lead us to it. How'd you find out about these folks, Grandpap? Well, uh, Doc Miller and his woman ate dinner over at our place, and we were sitting there visiting after we got done eating, and uh, directly that telephone rung and told Doc to get right on over here. Well, who done the calling? Oh, some feller named Joe something or another. Forget what he did call his name. He had went over to some neighbor's house to call. Said they'd been into the county seat to pay their taxes, and they weren't no room at the hotel, so they come out here to this old barn to spend the night. Well, this ain't fitting weather they have to stay out in the barn. And they said they were sort of expecting the baby to be born tonight, huh? Yeah. And that's the reason they called Doc Miller. What's the matter, Abner? I dove his long arms is getting tired. Oh, here, let me carry them blankets a while, and you can <sighs> carry this oil heater. Is that box of groceries getting heavy, Grandpap? No, I'm all right. We ought to be there directly anyway. Well, this snow tires about out walking through it, you know. Well, maybe we're walking a little fast for you, Abner. Here, you take the lantern, too. Oh. Uh, yes, sir, it's mighty thoughty of you fellas to come over here at night this way. I sort of hate to call you to get out on Christmas, but after Doc left, my me and the woman got to talking about how pitiful it was that that couple was having to stay out here in this old barn with nothing to eat and all. Why, sure. Well, I'm just glad you called me, Grandpap. Just proud of a chance to help. Yeah, this makes it seem more like Christmas to me, doing for somebody else. You know, you just can't do things to make other folks happy without making yourself happy at the same time. Trouble with a lot of us, we sort of lose the Christmas idea altogether. Think too much about ourselves. The real Christmas spirit is a happiness we get out of making others happy. Why, yeah, sure. Now, there we were, just sitting there at home. Thought we was enjoying ourselves. These folks out here spending Christmas in an old barn this way. 
No, it wouldn't have been no Christmas to it if you hadn't have called us up, Grandpap. Well, I knowed in reason I could depend on you fellas. Now, here, men, if it's the old Gaddis place, we ought to be able to see it from the top of this hill here. Wait a minute. I believe that's the barn yonder, ain't it? Yeah, yeah, that's where they're at, so where's the world? Well, that's due east from where we is at, all right, for there's the east star there right over the top of the barn. Yeah, yeah, there's Doc's horse tied to the fence there. Yeah, this is the place. See the light shining through the cracks in the wall? Yeah. Yeah, sir, that's a shame that them folks never let some of us know that they needed a place to stay. We've got plenty of room right over at the place. We'd have been glad to have them. Well, this man that called Doc said they was looking for a place to stay and seen this barn weren't being used, so they just put up there for the night. Uh, whereabouts do they live at, Grandpap, did he say? Why, yeah, they're from over about Pleasant Valley, Summers, I think. Pleasant Valley? Yeah. He told Doc he never had no cash money. Taking every nickel he had to pay his taxes, but said if he'd make this call, said he'd work it out quick as he could. Well, old, old Doc never refused a call in his life, I don't reckon. No. I've knowed him to get up in the dead of night in the worst kind of weather to go call on the sick when he knowed before he went that he never would get no pay for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what we'd do without old Doc here in this community. Whilst there's some that says his methods is a little old-fashioned, uh, uh, Granny's, I'll take my chances with him every time. And he's pulled me through the shatters time and again. Yeah, all I said Doc never practiced medicine for what money he got out of it as much as he does for the good that he can be to his fellow man. Oh, yeah. No, sir, if there ever was a man that's got a preserved seat in the better world, it's old Doc Miller. Yeah, yeah. We better not be talking too loud, fellas. We don't want to disturb them none. No, no, no. Let's all be as quiet as we can. Yeah, I <sighs> this stuff down. Arms are tired. Oh, mine too. Uh, we got to let Doc know we're here somewhere or other. I reckon it won't hurt nothing to tap on the door sort of general. Uh, no. Go ahead, Lonnie. More like they be needing this oil stove. I don't hear a sound in there. I don't believe you knock quite loud enough, Lon. Maybe they never heard you. Wait a minute. Here comes somebody at the door. Oh, howdy, dog. Well, hello there. <laughs> what are you three old codgers doing out here this time of the night? Why, we just got to thinking after you left, Doc, these folks might be needing something. Yeah, uh, Doc, we brung an oil stove and some bed covers here. And here's a box of groceries. Well, they're sure needing them, then. Having any heat of any kind in there. Hmm. Using what little hay was left for a bed, I piled it all up in the manger and made a pretty good bed. But now these covers will come in awful handy. Oh, how's the lady, Doc? Well, getting along as well as could be expected, Mom. Well, I'll take these things on in and have her husband light this heater and warm the place up a little. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you men had better stay out here for a little while. Oh, yeah, sure. You, you go ahead, Doc. We'll wait out here. If, if there's anything we can do, Doc, let us know. Yes, all right. Thank you, Grandpa. Uh, oh, Doc, uh, what kind of work does this fella do? 
I said a while ago that uh, he was a carpenter by trade, Lum. Said he'd been out of work for quite a while, though. Well, I'd better get back inside. Here, sure. Said he was a carpenter, huh? Yeah. I was just thinking, Abner. We've been talking about building that loading platform at the back door of the store. I think it's a pretty good idea to get this fella to help us. Yeah, that's a good idea, Mom. And we might get him to do a little fixing up in the store there, too, while he's at it. Well, he'll want to be nice wife and baby for a few days now, I reckon. Why, sure, sure. Quickie's doc thinks it's safe for him to be moved. I'm going to just insist on him coming right on over there to our place and staying. Yeah, that'd be the best place in the world for him, Grandpap. Aunt Charity, that woman of yours, could take better care of him than anybody I know of. Yes, she'd get a side of enjoyment out of looking after the baby. <laughs> Just loves children. Oh, me. That woman of yours, Grandpappy's mother, would ever youngin' in the community, I reckon. <laughs> As, uh, I was just thinking here. Here we are, three old codgers, getting along in years, standing around out here waiting. Waiting for a little baby to be born. It's sort of like as if we was waiting for somebody to take our place. Well, of course, we don't like to talk about such things, I reckon, but we've about solved our time, men, I reckon. Uh, it won't be long before we'll have to move on. There'll be somebody else to take our place. Oh, yeah, sure, they'll soon forget about us. <laughs> it's sort of like the years. Here, 1944's almost gone. There's been a lot of things happened, but it'll soon be forgot. There's been lots of joys and happiness. And on the other hand, there's been lots of heartaches and lots of blasted hopes. But there's a new year coming, and we'll all get to start all over again. Here'll come 1945, bringing new hope new courage. And we're sort of like the years, us three old fellas. We're sort of like 1944, and we're waiting on 1945. The little baby in yonder. Well, it's just like I've always said. Wait, wait a minute. I believe somebody's coming to the door. Oh, maybe it's Doc. I any news yet, Doc? Well, men... It's a fine baby boy. So it came to pass that a little child was born on December 25th in an old barn in the countryside near the peaceful little community of Pine Ridge. Friends, we hope you have enjoyed this 
Lum and Abner's traditional Christmas story. May the spirit of peace and goodwill which it brings remain with you through the years to come. This is the Christmas wish for you and yours from Lum and Abner and their sponsors, the makers of Alka-Seltzer and of one-a-day brand vitamins. A very Merry Christmas to you all, always. Gene Baker speaking. This is the Blue Network. From 1944, on the last Christmas day of World War II, the traditional Yuletide story from Lum and Abner. This is a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast on WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Jill Arald Bailey co-produces the show, and Douglas Bell is our audio engineer. You can reach us by email at bigbroadcast at wamu.org or on Twitter at WAMU 88.5. And do please visit our Big Broadcast Facebook page. It's The Big Broadcast. I'm happy to report that many of the shows you're hearing tonight and that you'll hear tomorrow night on our Christmas night recollection, same time, same station, were specifically requested by quite a few of our Big Broadcast listeners. One of them is an irresistible evocation of the spirit of Christmas, and yes, we play it nearly every year. It stars Robert Young as America's Dad, it comes from Christmas Eve 1953 and NBC, and it proves once again that, despite numerous reversals, Father Knows Best. Mother, are Post 40% Bran Flakes really the best-tasting cereal of them all? Well, your father says so, and Father Knows Best. Well, the town of Springfield is lovely to behold this Christmas Eve. About noon today, the first snowflakes began to fall, and soon the air was filled with the whirling crystals. came down heavily all afternoon. Now every lawn and park is white, every roof and chimney top. And out on Maple Street this frosty Christmas Eve, every house seems to have its windows brightly aglow. Every house, that is, except the Andersons. They're not home. You see, they're... Well, let's go back to 10 o'clock this morning. Margaret was wrapping packages on the dining room table, and Jim was helping her. Like this. Hold your finger on this, will you, dear? Mm Mm-hmm. There we are. That knot should hold, don't you think? Honey, are you planning to send me along with the package? (laughs) What? What's the matter? You tied my thumb in there. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. There. There. (laughs) Now, I wonder if there's anyone I've forgotten... Well, from the number of packages scattered around here, you couldn't have forgotten anyone. Not in Springfield, anyway. Oh, there are not so many there. It just looks like a lot. I can't figure it out. Hmm? We don't know that many people. All right, now look. This one goes to the Kirby's. Mm-hmm. You remember last year they gave us that lovely salad bowl and we only sent them a card? Mm-hmm. This one is for the Morrises. I feel we certainly owe them a gift. But, honey... Now, wait. You asked a question, and I'm answering you. Mm -hmm. This package goes to the Rodneys. Mm -hmm. I didn't send them a thing last year, and the year before that, they gave us that huge box of pears. I know, but... uh... The big box is for the Carters, and then there's the Blakes and the Rogers and the Millbanks. 
and the Duplains and the Newmans and the Lewises. They all gave us something last Christmas. You see, I keep a record of these things, dear. I have it all written down. Well, that's fine. I'm not objecting to the idea of remembering our friends at Christmas. Well, you wondered why all the packages. Well, it just seems that suddenly Christmas has lost something. It used to be so much simpler. The spirit of Christmas had a different meaning. Well, I know, dear, but when people have given to us... That's it, honey. It's become a matter of bookkeeping. Christmas used to be a quiet and beautifully religious holiday. Time for the children, a time for bringing happiness to others. What has it become? A mad scramble to buy a lot of things you can't afford to give to people who don't need them. (laughs) Now, dear... Why can't we have Christmas the way it used to be? Quiet and simple with the real Christmas spirit. When you gathered your family and friends around the fire and the children hung up their stockings and the church bells on Christmas Eve and the carolers singing, that's the way Christmas should be. I know, dear, but... Mother! I'm in the dining room, Betty. I'm going to wash my hair now, Mother, so if Janie calls, will you take the message? What message? Well, it's very important. You see, Janie knows simply dozens of girls who work at Burton's department store. And they're going to call her the second Ralph comes in the store. And then Janie's going to call me. Princess, if you'll forgive my unseemly curiosity, what is the purpose of this elaborate spy system? Why, to find out what Ralph's going to give me for Christmas, naturally. Oh, naturally. (laughs) But, dear, a Christmas present is supposed to be a surprise. Of course, Mother, but how can I be surprised if I don't know what kind of gold locket that's heart-shaped with my initials on it he's going to buy me? (laughs) Uh, wait a minute. Um, how was that again? I'll be upstairs, Mother. If Janie called, you needn't call me to the phone unless the locket is a wristwatch. (laughs) Well, now, if that doesn't... Now, now, don't let it upset you. She's just a normal teenage girl. But, honey, the whole idea of Christmas is to... Dad, Mom! Here. We're in the dining room, bud. Hey, tonight's Christmas Eve. Can you believe it? Christmas Eve. Yeah. And you'd better go down in the basement and bring up the decorations for the tree. We haven't got a tree yet. Besides, I, I, I haven't got time right now. Joe and I got to get some stuff together. We're going out with Christmas carols. Christmas carols? You? Now, don't question him, Margaret. Thank heaven there's one person in this family who has the true Christmas spirit. Allow me to congratulate you, son. You have the right idea. There's nothing finer on Christmas Eve than to go around singing carols. Oh, we're not going to sing them, Dad. Oh? What are you going to do with them? <laughs> well, we got to deal with Gus uh, down at the used car lot. He, he has a sound truck, you know, with the big horns on top and a record player inside. Oh, no. And now, wait, this is a cool idea. Gus is going to drive the sound truck all over town this afternoon, and Joe and I, we're going to be inside playing the Christmas carol records. Bud. Well, I'm not really going to play the records. Joe's going to do that, and I'm going to read the commercials. (laughs) (laughs) Commercials? Sure. For Gus McCarthy's used car lot. Joe plays a carol, and then I read a commercial. I got some cool ideas. Uh, How do you like this one? It starts out, Rescue Mary Gentleman in a 1936 two-door sedan with white side. Oh. 
Bud, maybe you'd better... Or, oh, what fun it is to ride in a 1940 club coupe with overdrive and new seat covers. <laughs> Look, Bud. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus in a 1948 convertible with radio and <laughs> How do you like those? Pretty good, huh, Dad? Pretty good. But have you lost your mind? This is Christmas. Your father's right, Bud. That's carrying it entirely too far. But if I don't work on the truck this afternoon, I won't get to ride on it in the parade tonight. Parade? On Christmas Eve? Sure, the big Santa Claus parade. They're going to have floats and bands and cowboys, all kinds of stuff. What, no skyrockets? Well, now I've heard everything. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Introduced with a brass band. Daddy? What is it, kitten? When are we going to get our tree? Oh, you'd better go down and get one, dear. They'll be all gone. I could have gotten one wholesale from Gus's used car lot. He sells Christmas trees, too. Can we have a purple tree this year, Daddy? A purple tree? They're selling them on the vacant lot next to the pool hall. Red, yellow, pink, orange, purple. You can get any color you want except green. <laughs> if you're talking about the tree, I vote for a pink one. What's wrong with green? Nothing, except it just looks like a tree. <laughs> What's a tree supposed to look like? Daddy, can we get one of those neon lights? Oh, for Pete's sake. Neon lights, purple Christmas trees, brass bands. What has happened to you kids? Have you forgotten the meaning of Christmas? Have you forgotten everything you've learned in Sunday school? No, Father. It's just that things are different now than when you were a boy. This is 1953. Different nothing. You can change everything else but not Christmas. Am I right, Margaret? You have the floor, dear. <laughs> the whole trouble is that Christmas has been turned into another super colossal all-color production Well, it's all wrong And as far as this family is concerned, we're putting a stop to it This year, we're going to celebrate Christmas as it should be celebrated Simply and naturally Without all the hoop-de-doo and fall de roll This is going to be a real Christmas I don't understand what you mean, Father well, to begin with, we're not going to buy one of those painted trees. We're going to get in the car and drive up to Pine Mountain and cut our own tree. Oh, boy, can we, Daddy? You don't really mean that. Certainly I do. You kids gather up some warm clothes. Bud, get the saw out of the garage. But, Father, it's at least 50 miles up there. You can buy a tree for a couple of bucks, Dad. Now, that's what I'm talking about. All you kids can think of is buy, buy, buy. This is a part of Christmas you've never even experienced. Going out into the woods and cutting your own Christmas tree. The weather forecast said snow today. Oh, we'll be up there and back in three or four hours. Not going to snow that much. Besides, I have chains. Now, get your coats. I'm getting mine. I'm ready. Oh, this sounds like a real peachy Christmas. It will be, Princess. You'll see. Dear, I have all those packages to deliver to the Rogers and the Newmans We'll throw them and... in the car, honey. We'll deliver them on our way back. You're, uh, sure this is a good idea? Am I sure? Margaret, believe me, this is going to be a Christmas none of us will ever forget. <laughs> <laughs>
Another mile or two, maybe. Father, it's starting to snow again. Oh, is that snow coming down? It isn't cornflakes. <laughs> well, just a little flurry. Nothing to worry about. Come on, cheer up, everybody. It's almost Christmas Eve. What is there to cheer up about? <laughs> Joe's probably out on the sound truck playing Deck the Halls with Boughs of Holly and selling cars like crazy. <laughs> Bud, we're not talking about that, remember? Okay. Now, if you kids think you have a hard life, look at that little grocery store back off the road there. Miles from everything. How would you like to live there? Well, I wouldn't, that's all. I just wouldn't. What if you had to? Well, I wouldn't. What if you had to? I said I wouldn't. Yeah, but what if you had to? <laughs> Father, tell Bud to stop it. Bud, stop it. Are we almost there, Daddy? No, it won't be long, kitten. Look at that snow drifting down. Isn't that beautiful? We're going to have a white Christmas. It's lovely, dear, but do you think we should try to go any farther? Oh, it's just around the next bend. Why, we had to drive clear up here into the wilderness to get a Christmas tree. You'll understand, Princess, when we're back home this evening. When the fragrance of the tree fills the whole house. <laughs> what? What happened, Daddy? Nothing, uh... Snow's a little uh, deeper here. Father, we're not moving. Are we stuck, Dad? No, we're not stuck. <laughs> Why aren't we moving? Dear, we can't go any farther. It's snowing so hard now you can't see ahead. Can you turn around? Well, I, I won't try to turn around. The... Only thing we can do is uh, back up. We're not moving. What's the matter, Dad? I'm afraid we're stuck. Oh, no. Oh, Jim, we can't be. Now there's nothing to get excited about. We'll get out of here somehow. Take the wheel, Margaret. Bud and I will get out and push. Come on, Bud. I can't even see. What do you want me to do, Jim? Uh, put it in reverse. I can't hear you. The snow's getting deep, Dad. Uh, it's no use. We can't move it. Uh, shut off the motor, Margaret. Well, what do we do now, dear? Well, we'll have to leave the car and walk back. Oh, walk back? Yeah. Well, come on, everybody out. Uh, take the keys, Margaret. All right. Button up your coat, Kathy. Betty, bring those two blankets. We can't walk all the way back in this snow. I know that. We're going back to that little grocery store we passed. It's only about a quarter of a mile. Uh, close the car doors. Oh. I'll carry Kathy. Now, all stay together. We better hurry. It's getting dark. Daddy. Uh, yeah? It's almost Christmas Eve. Yes. Almost. I got snow in my shoes, <laughs> snow down my neck. Can you see where you're going, Jim? 
Yeah, I, I can see. Marooned on top of a mountain in a blizzard. All right, stop complaining. It could be worse. Yeah, we could have come up here in our bathing suit. <laughs> I don't know why we had to come up here. Yeah, what was the idea? Well, I'll tell you, my freezing friends. This is that warm and beautiful event known as a simple, old-fashioned... Christmas. Well, as I said earlier, the white frame house on Maple Street is dark this Christmas Eve. About noon today, Jim Anderson revolted against his family's attitude toward the Yuletide and decided that this year they should discover the joys of a simple, old-fashioned Christmas. Nice thought? Yes. How's it working out? Terrible. They drive up to Pine Mountain to cut their own tree and ended up in a snowbank. Now, with a car abandoned, Jim and the family grope their way through the blizzard toward an isolated roadside store. Like this. I think my nose is frozen. Uh, how much farther is it, Danny? Well, uh, it must be right ahead of us. If it weren't snowing so hard, we could probably see it. There it is, Dad. See the light? Yeah, yeah. There's the store, Mommy. Oh, well, thank heaven. That looks real pretty for Christmas Eve, doesn't it? Holly wreath in the window. All I'm interested in right now is getting back to Springfield. I'm supposed to be at at least three parties tonight. If we get back in time, I can still ride in the parade with Joe on the sound truck. All those gifts are still in the car, Jim. We'll have to get them out somehow. Yeah. They have to be delivered tonight. Well, all right, one thing at a time. Let's let's get in here and thaw out first. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Nice and warm. <laughs> that's not a barrel, kitten. That's an old-fashioned pot-bellied stove. Oh, this looks like the kind of a store my father used to talk about. Yeah? Look at the stuff hanging from the ceiling. Lanterns and snowshoes, all kinds of junk. By golly, it smells just like the old general store back in my hometown. Who runs the place? I wouldn't be surprised if it's Lorman Abner. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? Anybody here? Be there in just a minute. Where's the telephone? Oh, it's here someplace. You children had better take your coats off now. I was just putting the bacon on the stove. We weren't expecting anyone in tonight. How did you folks get up here? Well, our car stalled up the road. I wonder if we could use your telephone. Well, you'd be most welcome to use it if we had one. <laughs> no telephone? Well, hello there. Is that your car? It's snowed in up the road? Yes, that's ours. We must have passed on the road without seeing each other. I just walked up there to see if you needed help. Well, that was very thoughtful of you. We were looking for a telephone. Well, I guess the nearest phone is down at the Harper's place, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, and you'd never make it down there tonight, not with the snow coming down like it is. But how are we going to get back to Springfield? I'm afraid you're not going to get back tonight, miss. Probably not tomorrow, either. Oh, groan. There goes Christmas and all our plans. I wouldn't feel too bad about it, miss. It uh, may not be so noticeable, 
but it's Christmas here, too, you know. And uh, since Maggie and me, uh, we're marooned up here, in a manner of speaking, and, and since you folks are stranded, too, why don't we just say we're all stranded together, uh, snowbound, as it were? Well, well, that's very nice of you, but... Oh, we can't just move in on you. Well, why not? You look like nice folks. Tom and me are alone here. I'll put some more plates on the table, and there's plenty of beds upstairs. Can we do it? Please, Mommy? Please? It seems like a dreadful imposition. It's nothing of the kind. I'm Tom Terrell, and this is my wife, Maggie. Oh, yes. how do you do? Well, uh, we're the Andersons. Uh, the little one is Kathy, That's our boy Betty? Bud, uh, our daughter Betty, Hello. my wife Margaret. Hello. And I'm Jim. Well, we're happy you're going to be with us. <laughs> Thank you. We hadn't planned much of a Christmas, uh, just the two of us. But now that there's some kids around, by golly, it's beginning to seem like Christmas. Come on, help me light up some more lamps, bud. Okay. I'll tell you what we always did with our youngsters on Christmas. We gave them the run of the store. So help yourselves. Candy, cookies, anything you want. Oh, you mean it? Really? Who <laughs> help yourself? Oh, man. <laughs> Steady now, don't get carried away. Oh, Mother, look at these adorable old-fashioned teacups. In a minute, dear. Look here, Bob, look at this. Yeah, but look at this. <laughs> Listen to them. My golly, it's good to hear youngsters around the place again. How many children do you have? Two, a boy and a girl. But they're both grown up now. Gone away. Seems like such a short time we had them with us. Well, would you like to come out in the kitchen with me, Margaret? Yes, I'll help you put things on. Uh, Jim, if you want to hang up your things, the, the bedrooms are right up the stairway there. Oh, good. I'll uh, take these blankets and uh, coats up. Well, you kids finding anything back there? Sure, all kinds of stuff. I found a school book back there, Mr. Terrell. It's the same one I use. Yeah, it belonged to my daughter. She looked a lot like you when she was your age. Did you have some kids, Mr. Terrell? Yes, we have too, bud. Where are they, Mr. Terrell? Well, they've grown up and gone, Kathy. Aren't you lonesome without your children? Yes, we are sometimes. I think we miss the most at Christmas time. You kids don't know how much you mean to your folks at Christmas. We we never thought about it. I guess we always just thought how much Christmas meant to us. We used to have our tree here by the stove, and Judy and Bill would decorate it and put the candles on the tinsel and the stars and the little glass bells, they're all in the box back in the corner where the kids packed them away. Don't you have any Christmas? No, Kathy. Uh, not anymore. There, there's, there's no one to decorate the tree. Tom, I need some wood for the stove. All right, I'll get it. I'll get it. What are you crying about, Shrimp? I just feel sad. Sad. Yeah? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Maybe. Well, climb up on a box and get down those snowshoes. You're going back to the car. Well, 
what's wrong with the children, Margaret? They didn't eat. I don't know. They're plotting something. They run me out of the store, told me to stay back here and lock the door. Maybe you'd better go out front and see what they're doing, Jim. Oh, they're all right, honey. Leave them alone. Whatever they're doing, they've been at it for over an hour. All right, everybody. Come in now. Turn off all the lamps. Well, for pity's sakes, what are they... Well, let's go in. (gasps) What? What in the world? Well, will you look at that? It's Christmas Eve, remember? Oh, a tree decorated and with candles. From the Andersons, Merry Christmas to Mr. and Mrs. Terrell. If that don't beat all. It's beautiful, kids. Uh, How did you do it? Well, Mr. Terrell said they had the decorations, so Bud went up to the car and got the saw and some things. Then he went out and cut the tree. I helped put on the decorations. Look what's under the tree. Where'd those packages come from? Santa Claus. You can't open them till Christmas morning. Margaret, aren't those your packages from the car? I told them they could do it, dear. They changed the tags. I guess this is a miracle, Mother. We have a family again. Gathered around the Christmas tree. Just the way it used to be. Snow coming down outside, candles on the tree, a warm fire in the stove. Oh, it's lovely. So lovely. The only thing that's missing is the Christmas carol. Judy, when she was a little girl, would stand up at the top of the stairs. And the way she sang it reminded you of the angels who sang it to the shepherds on that wondrous night. Kathy? Oh, well, where is Kathy? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the year are met in thee tonight. Father. Yes, Princess. Thank you for our first real Christmas. This is Robert Young. From all of us in the Anderson family to all of you, a most sincere wish that the Christmas spirit in its fullest meaning be yours for now and always. Good night. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson. Until then, good night and good luck from the makers of Post 40% Brand Flakes, the cereal preferred and eaten by far more people than any other brand flakes, and Instant Sanka, the delicious coffee that lets you sleep. In our cast were Rhoda Williams as Betty, Ted Donaldson, Gene Vanderpile, Helen Strom, Jeanette Nolan, and Herb Butterfield. <laughs>
Father Knows Best, based on characters created by Ed James, was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Paul West and Roswell Rogers. This is Bill Foreman speaking. If you had to get up and get a tissue, it's okay. We all have to wipe away a few tears when we hear that one. From this date in 1953 and the series Father Knows Best. It came to you as part of a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast over WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Radio can claim a lot of credit for the sheer magnificence of Christmas here in America. What I mean by that is that there was a grandeur and a nobility to the presentation of Christmas literature, Christmas lore, and above all, Christmas music over the airwaves. For example, there's a big difference between hearing Christmas carols played on a piano in the parlor and hearing them played and sung by a full orchestra and chorus in a radio broadcast. We're going to hear an example right now, with readings by the rich-voiced actors Boris Karloff and Maurice Evans, the latter probably the most prominent American Shakespearean actor of his time, and music by a full orchestra under the direction of Paul Whiteman. The soloists are the Metropolitan Opera baritone Mac Harrell and the ex-Benny Goodman big band singer Martha Tilton, the Lilton Miss Tilton, as she was called. Listen to the sheer virtuosity of the orchestra and the chorus as they go from sacred music to big band swing to traditional carols, all the while achieving that monumental sound I mentioned. This is an excerpt of a longer variety program, the Radio Hall of Fame, and it starts rather abruptly with Boris Karloff reading from St. Luke. You'll hear an undercurrent of gratitude and joy throughout, not only because it was Christmas, but because it was the first peacetime Christmas following World War II. From December 23, 1945, it's an excerpt of the ABC program, The Radio Hall of Fame. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men.
Ladies and gentlemen, Mac Harrell of the Metropolitan Opera. It came upon the midnight seal that glorious morn of
Christmas is the climax of the year. All the other days add up to this one great day when people everywhere join in glad tidings. The herald angel sings, Joy to the world. God rest you merry, gentlemen. Merry Christmas. From all of us to all of you, a very merry Christmas. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. for a lusty, lovable lady celebrating her 40th anniversary in show business, Miss Sophie Tucker. Martha Tilton will be with us as usual, and Johnny Thompson will join the Radio Hall of Fame Orchestra and Choir. With a good, solid grip on the baton will be the Dean of Modern American Music, Paul Whiteman. Don't miss Philco's other program, The Breakfast Club with John McNeil, Monday through Friday over these same stations. When Ridge speaking, this is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. From the eve of Christmas Eve in 1945, an excerpt from the Radio Hall of Fame and a celebration of the holiday from a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast. I'm Murray Horwitz. Jill Arold Bailey co-produces the show. Douglas Bell is our audio engineer. And this is WAMU Washington. We're your listener-supported NPR news station from American University. In HD at 88.5, at WRAU 88.3 Ocean City, on your smart speaker, and online at WAMU.org. As we've already heard more than once tonight, the best of the old-time radio sitcoms really tried to stretch a little bit at Christmas time, And when they did, the result was often a classic. That's the case with this perennial favorite, an episode of Duffy's Tavern. It may help to know that a box of Nabisco shredded wheat cereal always featured a picture of Niagara Falls. Check out our Facebook page and you'll see what I mean. From December 22, 1948, it's a story sometimes called Miracle in Manhattan, and it comes from NBC and Duffy's Tavern. 
tonight. So we take you now to Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. you're about to hear is brought to you with a wish. A wish from Bristol Myers that your Christmas may be merry and that the new year for all of us be a happy and a peaceful one. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you late me to eat? Archie Lange is speaking. Duffy ain't here. Hello, Duffy. Huh? Look, please don't give me that merry Christmas stuff. I sound like I got up on the wrong side of the floor this morning. Look, Duffy, I had one eggnog. Just happened that I hit some bad nutmeg. (laughs) Well, if you want to know, I'm a little sore about your gratuity for Christmas. That lousy Christmas card. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. P.S. After you read this, get back to work. <laughs> Fine sentiment this time of the year. Well, after nine years, I thought maybe I might get some little present. Some little luxury. Some little thing I wouldn't think of getting for myself. Like money. <laughs> huh? Look, Duffy. Someday, you're going to leave this veil of tears. You're going to leave it with your pockets bulging with bills. But I'm warning you. Where you're going, you're going to find that paper money ain't going to last long. <laughs> I leave you with that thought for today. Christmas. Seven days a week, 18 hours a day. I work my grandstones to the nose. <laughs> what do I get? Nothing but gratitude. And very little of that. Merry Christmas, Miss Austin. What's so merry about it, Eddie? Starvation wages, no dough to buy nothing. Oh, you got a little dough. Yeah, but how far will it take me with the present prices of economics? <laughs> the landlady sent me a notice. From the first of the year on, your apartment will be $9 a month. <laughs> $9 for four lousy rooms. Uh, does that include bath? Who knows? <laughs> Never get to see the place the way I have to work around here, but the stuff he can. Well, don't let it get you, Miss Archie. See, this is the time of the year to forget your trouble. Yeah. Christmas is the time when you should be thinking about helping other people out. Helping other people out, huh? When Gorilla Hogan got drunk and nasty here last night and started picking on me, did you help me out? Uh, I couldn't. See, I was back in the kitchen cooking. What takes a half an hour to cook? With Gorilla Hogan drunk and nasty, a couple of three-minute eggs. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. When I'm in a fight and I need help, you disappear. Yeah, but you always bragging about what a wonderful fighter you are. You certainly picked the funniest time to start believing me. <laughs> yeah, give me that Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas, boys. Merry Christmas, Miss Duff. Archie, I said Merry Christmas. Are you kidding? What have I got to be merry about working for that cheap skate old man of yours? Archie, you just don't know Papa. He really isn't cheap. No, that's right. Once in an outburst of generosity, he gave away his toenail clippings. <laughs> what about the time he took your old lady on their honeymoon? Where did they go? Niagara Falls. That's what he told everybody, Niagara Falls. But 
what he really did. They stayed home and your old man let the water run in the bathtub while he showed your mother a box of shredded wheat. <laughs> Tell me how cheap the guy is. Just a minute. Hello? Oh, just a second. Just girlfriend, Vera Fogarty. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, hello, Vera. How did you do with Santa Claus? Okay, but no presents, huh? <laughs> can't have everything, Vera. What's on your mind? A dance? Where? At the Y? M or W? <laughs> the YW, huh? Well, okay, Vera, I'll go. But this time, you've got to leave. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'll meet you at Kimmel Bakers. So, so long, everybody. i got a heavy date. Uh, what are you going to do tonight, Archie? Me? I think I'll just spend a quiet evening standing around disappointing pickpockets. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good night, Josh. Merry Christmas to you. Oh, hello, Finnegan. Good. Are you going to wish me a Merry Christmas? Yeah, Merry Christmas. Did you hang up your stocking? Oh, no, I just... Hung up my stocking last year, and it was a bum idea. A bum idea? Yeah, the blood kept rushing to me head. <laughs> and again, what I meant was, did you get any presents for Christmas? Oh, no, a few things, George. My mother gave me some building blocks. Monogrammed, of course. <laughs> and uh, uh, my sister gave me a bottle of bubble bath. Bubble bath? Yeah, and is that stuff a fake? What do you mean a fake? I sat in a tub and took four drinks of it, and I couldn't even blow a single bubble. <laughs> uh, well, I just stopped in to say hello. Uh, I gotta run along, us. You gotta run along? Where are you going? I'm going over to sing Christmas carols. Oh, yeah? Where? At Water McGregs. Oh. Uh, you going over us? No, I'm not. How come? Didn't invite me. Oh, oh. Uh, well, I'll be seeing you. <laughs> you mean you ain't going to spend Christmas with me like you usually do? Oh, well, Lodge, I thought you was going to McGregs, too, so I accepted. Uh, Hey, you ain't sure, Roger. No, no. Why should I be sure? Go ahead. Have a good time. Well, uh, Merry Christmas, George. Merry Christmas, Clifton. Fine Christmas. No bonus. Your friends walk out on you. The next guy that says Merry Christmas to me, I'm going to punch him right in the nose. Now, what's he using? Eddie. Uh, yeah. Eddie, turn on the radio, will you? Maybe it'll snap me out of this mood. Okay. Look bad, I'm running out of buttons. <laughs> oh, 
forget about it. Well, I think we'd better lock up the place. It's getting late. Okay. I'll go clean up and sit there. All right, do that. It's Christmas, Andy. I ain't got enough trouble at this time of the year. They gotta put on music that makes them even sadder. Hello there, Archie. Hey, how did you get in here? Walked in. That's funny. So they just locked the door. We're closing up. Oh, and maybe I'd better leave. Listen, you said Archie. How did you know my name? Oh, I've heard about you. Oh, well, I'm pretty well known around here. Well, you have a little drink, bud? No, I don't think so. Oh, Ed, it's on the house. On the house? Sure, it's Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, huh? Well, anyway, it's a day in December. What do you have? Well, maybe I'll take a glass of water. Water here? <laughs> you kidding? Here, mister, we got some pretty good wine here. At least have a glass of wine, huh? Look, i never seen you around here before. How did you happen to come in here to the tavern? Oh, I... Just walking around, saw the light, thought I'd drop in. You, uh, you don't think much of Christmas, do you, Archie? Oh, you got me wrong. I love it. I wouldn't be without it. Good old Christmas. <laughs> the time of the year when after you work for a guy for nine years and knock your brains out, he says to you, Merry Christmas, Archie. The time when even your closest friend walks out on you. Well, maybe there's another side to Christmas. Oh, yeah? Like what? Well, like... Like the look on a kid's face when he sees what Santa Claus has left in his stocking. Uh-huh. Or like the feeling in a man's heart when his family's around him on Christmas Eve. You see, Christmas isn't a thing you can reach out and touch, Archie. It's a thing inside us. Look, bud, I can see you've been running around with a different class of people. Around this neighborhood, every guy is out for himself. Oh, I don't know. I think this neighborhood and the people are pretty much the same as most others. Oh, I know he's a stranger. Well, I, I could be wrong. Why don't you and I take a little walk? You mean you want to see for yourself? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little fresh air will do you good, Archie. Fresh air? Are you in foreigners' joint as an incinerator? <laughs> well, no. Well, it is. Come on, let's go. Uh, hey, Eddie, keep an eye on the joint, will you? You can't even walk along a public street with that belting it at you. I kind of like it. You like it? Well, everybody to his own place. Did you ever listen to the words of that song? Did you? I should. I had to listen to them all day. All is calm, all is bright. How do you like that? The world is a mess. Everybody has his hand in the other guy's pocket, but... Don't make no difference to the guy that wrote that song. To him, all is bright. Well, maybe the guy that wrote that song was thinking about something in men's hearts. Something that shines a little brighter on a day like this. Didn't you ever sing Christmas carols, Archie? Oh, yeah. Christmas carols, sure. When I was a punk kid and I didn't know no better. But you have to grow up someday. Now, that's the trouble with a lot of us. Maybe we're not growing up. Maybe we're just losing track of things that matter. Like what? Oh, things like faith, tolerance, human kindness. That's nice. And where does one find them things? You don't find them, Archie. You give them. And it's a funny thing. The more you give, the more you have. 
Hey, why don't we drop in over there? Huh? Across the street. Across the street? At the church. Yeah, I know. Why don't we drop in for a second? Into a church? Why not? But I, I wouldn't know how to act. You, uh, don't go to church, huh? Oh, no, I'm not dropping it, you know. It's just that there's two types of guys when it comes to going to church. There's them that does and them that don't. <laughs> I happen to be the type that don't. Well, now, why don't you just drop in with me for a second, hmm? Well, I guess if I go with somebody else, it won't count against me. Uh... Funny thing, though, you know, to take a look at you, I wouldn't figure that you was the religious type. No? No, but that's what I say. You never can tell about people. Okay, leave it to me. The Yanks, Jimmy? Like them. You ever see that the Maggio play ball? Oh, give me a paper, son. Okay, mister. Here you are. Wait a tradition. Hi, kid. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, mister. You were talking about Joe DiMaggio, Jimmy. Oh, boy. What a ball player. That's the Maggio's the greatest outfield in the world. Now, where that guy can pull him. Jimmy, do you know who that was who bought the paper just now? Who? That was Joe DiMaggio. You're kidding. No, no. Look at him. He just stopped there by that streetlight. Joe DiMaggio? Joe bought a paper for me and I didn't even recognize him? Wait a minute. Maybe I can get him to come back. Hey, DiMaggio. Hey, DiMaggio. Hey, you. You calling me? Yes. You know, you've got quite an admirer in that crippled newsboy over there. Me? Yeah. Now, now look. You're Joe DiMaggio. 
And if that kid could shake hands with you, it'd be the best Christmas present he ever got. Would you do it? Of course I will. Be glad to. Come on, let's go over to him. No, just a minute. Let him walk over to you. But, listen, I told you, the kid can't walk. Let's find out, Archie. Oh, Jimmy. Joe DiMaggio wants to shake hands with you. Yeah, come on, Jimmy. Come on over and shake hands. But, gee, Joe, don't you see? I can't. Come on, Jimmy. Joe. Joe, I'm walking. What's the matter? That kid back there. I've seen him sitting on that corner like that for the past six years, and tonight the kid is walking. Maybe he could have walked all the time. No. No, he couldn't. You did it. You did it by, by telling him that was Joe DiMaggio. It was. Now, look. You can fool a kid, but don't try to fool me. It, it couldn't have been DiMaggio. No? Certainly not. I just read in the paper this morning DiMaggio was spending Christmas with his family in San Francisco. Hey, look, this, this thing is getting a little weird. Nice town, San Francisco. Huh? Oh. Well, I ain't never been that far west. Uh, San Francisco, your hometown? No, no. Uh, where are you from? I'm from the east. The east? Uh, what town? A small town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, huh? Hey, you know anybody in Allentown? <laughs> I might. Guy by the name of Lou Grant. Lou Grant. Uh, does he run a barn grill on Front Street? Yeah, that's the guy. Well, you should get around, don't you? What are you, one of them traveling salesmen or something? Well, I guess you might call me that. Well, say, what's the excitement? What's the crowd doing in front of that hotel? Where? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, lady. Lady, what's going on here? That man, that man up there on the ledge. Where? Up there on the window ledge of the hotel. He says he's going to jump at midnight. Why? I don't know. I guess he's crazy. He says he never wants to see another Christmas. Well, as far as I'm concerned, you can hardly blame the guy. Wait. Here goes the shine. Must be quarter to twelve. Let me check my watch here. Exactly 15 minutes before he jumps. Let's stick around. Are you sure of the time? Oh, certainly. I always set me watch by them chimes. Well, how long has he been up there? Oh, for hours. The police have been trying to find his wife. His wife? Yes. They think maybe if they found her, she could talk him out of it. Come on, Archie. Where are you going? I'd like to talk to that fellow. Are you crazy? They ain't going to let you in that hotel. Look at the cops guarding the doorway. Besides, you can't do nothing with a guy like that. He's nuts. I'd like to talk to him anyway. Okay, have it your way. We'll tell the cops we live in a hotel. But uh, I'd better go along with you. Hey, wait a minute, you. Where do you think you're going? We live here. Uh, me and me friend here was just going up to our suite. You and what friend? That guy there. That guy that just walked in. Nobody walked in this hotel, bud. And nobody's going to walk in. Okay, so nobody walked in. What am I going to do? Argue with you? I'm telling you, I just come in with the guy. Look, son, why don't you go home and sleep it off? Listen, you, don't come near and try to grab me. If you do, I'll jump. I'm not going to grab you. I just came to talk to you. 
to see if maybe I could change your mind. Too late to change my mind. As soon as those chimes ring, I'm jumping. I'm not afraid to die. Maybe you're afraid to live. A lot of people are. What have I got to live for? What have any of us got to live for? Look at those people down there on the street, hundreds of them, waiting for a ray of hope, a sign of courage in this frightened world. What you're doing might extinguish the last spark of faith in many of their tired hearts. Their tired hearts. At least their wives are with them at Christmas. Come on, time ring. Ring. Let's get it over with. Your wife means a lot to you, doesn't she? If she didn't, do you think I'd be up here? I haven't had one peaceful moment since she left me. Well, why did she leave you? Because I was a fool. Because I... But it's too late to think of that. Oh, why don't those chimes ring out and get it over with? What's slowing them up? Nothing's slowing them up. Just that in these last moments, the seconds seem like years. Come back. My darling. Oh, child. I was going to jump when I heard that. Yes, I know. I know. I was afraid I was too late. Thank God I got here in time. Hello, Archie. Glad I found you again. Hey, it's you. How did you do it, mister? How'd you stop that guy from jumping? Just talked to him till his wife came. She just got there in time. Yeah. Funny how she just got there in time, wasn't it? What do you mean? Well, it happens I was looking at me watch, timing it out to see when the guy was going to jump. So? Them chimes rang four minutes late. Maybe your watch is slow. Oh, no, it ain't. Remember, I checked it with the chimes a little while ago, and them bells has never been wrong. Look, come on. Please get out of here. I'm getting back to the time, and this is a little too foolish for me. Okay, we'll, we'll take a cab. There, there's an empty one. Where to, fellas? We want to go to Duffy's Tavern, quick. Okay. Uh, how about a little music? Wait a minute. There it is. Please, take that thing off of there, will you? Get something else. Okay, okay. Pretty calm considering all the crazy things that have been happening tonight. It's a little weird. First the newsboy. Then the guy on the window ledge. Well, we all have our troubles, Archie. We all get off the track once in a while. We just need something bigger than ourselves to steer us straight. You mean something like religion? Call it that. Call it human kindness. Tolerance. Understanding. Begin to see what you mean. Hey, driver, watch out for that guy. Look, don't worry, thank you. It wasn't your fault. The guy walked right out in front of me. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you see him missing? He walked right out in front of me. Oh, let's see how badly he's hurt. Hey, we'd better call a cop. Here comes the cop now. All right, all right. Stand back here. The poor devil a chance. Now, what happened here? Well, the guy walked right out in front of the cab. Yeah, the driver's right off. There wasn't a catchy fault. We was riding along, and all of a sudden, this guy stepped right out in front of the cab. Like he was blind. Hey, wait a minute. He is a blind man. There's a cane there. 
Here, maybe I can help him. Wait a minute, you take your hands off him. It's against the law. Wait till the ambulance gets here. Against the law to help someone? You heard me. You never know when you're doing them more harm than good. All right, officer, just as you say. Hey. Hey, wait a minute. Look. The guy's getting up. What? The crowd. The noise. I was all confused. Tell me, what? Wait a minute. Lights and faces. I can see. I can see. Easy now, mister. You better not try to get up. I'm all right, I tell you. And I can see. For the first time since Okinawa, I can see. Uh, I didn't mean to hit you, bud. Didn't mean to hit him. You've done him a favor. The guy says he can see. Hey, the, the shot wants to get him back inside. No. No, it wasn't that. Someone touched me. I felt a cool hand. And the minute he touched me, I was all right. Where is he? Where is he? Come on, Archie. Let's go. We've done all we can. It's good to be back in the tavern again. I think we'd better have a little drink, though. Hey, uh, you want to finish your wine, bud? No, thanks. Yeah, you know something? I'm I'm all mixed up. Mixed up? Yeah, about this Christmas stuff. Well, you see, Archie, as I said, Christmas isn't just a date on a calendar. Or a wreath in a window or a song. It's something in men's hearts. They can let it die or... Keep it in their hearts the year round. 365 days of Christmas. You know, it's a funny thing. You said that to me a little while ago, I'd have laughed in your face, but now I don't know. I don't know. But wait a second, I'd, I'd like to turn on the radio a minute. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I finally got you some dance music on the radio. Well, you don't want no dance music. Turn it off, will you? I wish you'd make up your mind. Uh, look, mister. Until you walked in here today, I... Hey, Eddie. Eddie, what happened to that guy I was talking to? Well, nobody talking to you. You're nuts. He was standing here at the bar. He came in with me. Mr. Archie, please, there's nobody here. No? Maybe it was all... Eddie, you sure that there was nobody here? No. Must have been seeing things. Maybe you're right... Right. Wait a minute. This glass of wine here. The glass is half empty. What? Nothing, Eddie, nothing. Just leave me alone for a little while, will you? Huh? Okay. Good night, Miss Arthur. Good night, Eddie. Eddie? Yeah. Merry Christmas. Oh, thanks, Miss Arthur. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Good night. Good night. Christmas. Off, Father. What in heaven? Mm-hmm.
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Broadcasting Company. From Christmas Week in 1948, a holiday episode of the comedy series Duffy's Tavern. It's a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast over WMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. 2020 is Charles Dickens's sesquicentennial year. The master novelist passed away in 1870. So his little book, A Christmas Carol, shines a little more brightly on this holiday. WAMU, The Big Broadcast, and Ford's Theater have collaborated on a new radio version of that classic, and it airs at noon tomorrow, Christmas Day, right here on WAMU. A special souvenir program for the production is available on our website, wamu.org. That's Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol from Ford's Theater and WAMU at noon tomorrow. Dickens toured the United States twice, so he and his works were well known in this country, even in the Wild West. That's why it was no stretch when James Stewart, a bright Christmas presence himself, did an adaptation of A Christmas Carol in his Western series The Six Shooter. And we'll get to Mr. Stewart's It's a Wonderful Life in our next hour. The episode comes from December 20th, 1953, NBC and The Six Shooter. Here's a last-minute Christmas shopping suggestion. Jingle bells, jingle bells, bells of NBC. Oh, what joy to cook and bake while listening merrily. Pots and pans, sink and stove, work goes easily. Kitchens ring with happy chimes when tuned to NBC. What will you hear in your kitchen after Christmas? Bacon sizzling, coffee perking, dishes clinking, and, if you're lucky, a new sound. NBC radio listening on that new set. The perfect gift to lighten mother's long hours in the kitchen. Kitchens ring with happy chimes when tuned to NBC. James Stewart as the six shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. Its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC radio network presents James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman, who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends.
nip in the air. Not a freezing, biting, angry nip, but a sort of tingle that made the morning stars shimmer and swung them out of their orbits a little closer to the earth. Oh, it was a winter nip, all right, but not a hard winter. Not a winter when the cattle would come down from the high places, poking their noses into the ice-encrusted ground. It was a mild winter nip. Mild enough so that the breath of the boy on the pinto turned only a faint gray as he rode toward the campfire where the man was sitting. Howdy. Hello, mister. I see your fire. I, I thought maybe you wouldn't mind if I gave my pony a chance to warm up. Sure, sure. Make yourself home. You heading for Thompson's Corners, mister? That's right. I just came from there. Oh, well, you must have been riding all night. Just about. You see, uh, I'm running away from home. Oh, that's all. Ah. Seems kind of a funny thing you'd pick this time of year to run away. So close to Christmas, I mean. I hate Christmas. Oh? It's just for kids, anyhow. Well... I heard Aunt Louie say so. Christmas is for children. That's what she said. Johnny's old enough to do without all that fuss and nonsense. I heard her tell Mr. Franklin that. Oh, you don't live with your folks, huh, Johnny? No, sir. He, he died about eight months ago. Oh, I see. Christmas is all right when they're... When I was with them. Of course, I was a lot younger then. Oh, yes, yes. It yes, just yes. beats me the way folks take Christmas so serious. Well, I don't know. Is it getting presents made any different? As if I really cared about that knife. Well, is that what you wanted, a, a pocket knife? I don't want a knife. I don't want anything. I just wish there wasn't any Christmas, that's all. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess you aren't the first person to feel that way. You know, it seems to me... seems to me I remember reading a story once about a fellow felt the same way about Christmas you do. Just didn't have any use for it. What happened to you? Well, I, I doubt if I can call it to mind after all this time, but as I recollect... Now, now mind you, this may not be word for word, uh, but as I recollect, the man that it was about, the one that hated Christmas, that is, well, he he was a real skin plant, he was. He, just as stingy as they come. He, uh, his name was, uh, let me see, was Eben, something like that. Eben? Eben, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was it. Well... Being so tight-fisted, this fellow Eben, he, he got to be the richest man in the whole territory. He owned a ranch? Oh, sure, sure. Had, had four of them. Four ranches and store buildings and farms and maybe a bank or two. He was rich. I bet he had a mighty fine ranch house. No. No, no, he didn't have a ranch house. Eben wasn't the sort to spend money on a ranch house unless there was profit in it. See, he just lived alone in town, had himself a steady room at the hotel. Well, anyway, one night while Evan was sitting in his room having supper, Christmas Eve it was, well, on this particular Christmas Eve, his only kin, a nephew, lived in the same town. He, he stopped by the hotel. To wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle, and invite you to our place for dinner tomorrow. Christmas, fiddlesticks, powder I suppose you'd be closing up your livery stable for the occasion. Why, sure, Uncle Eb. And just how will the horses know it's Christmas? Answer me that. <laughs> well, if they don't know it, we will. Can I tell Sally to expect you at three? You can expect me all you like, but I ain't coming. Not at three or any other time. 
Oh, if you're making so much money, you can afford to be giving parties. Maybe I ought to think about raising the rents on the little receiver. Oh, now, Uncle Oh, go on, get out of here before I lose my temper. All this nonsense about Christmas. Fiddlesticks. Hold well, after that, Johnny, the nephew didn't stick around there. He got out of Evans' hotel room in a regular gallop. I wasn't very long before Evan had another visitor. He's a young fellow, tall, lanky, not very good at speaking. He just plain ordinary cowpoke. He was the foreman of the S&M ranch. Oh, well, it took you long enough to get here. Where have you been? Selling off some of my herd without telling me about it? No, sir. The day you rode by, I was out in the range hunting straight. And a good thing I decided to check up on you, too. What's that cabin doing over by Holly Creek? And who are those people staying there? They're my family. I, I built the shack for them myself. I'm not going to have a bunch of nesters in my property. Tear it down. But well, one of my boys has been sick. I, I can't afford that to rent it. That's my concern. It's up to you to keep your family and what you earn. So see that you get rid of that shack tomorrow. But tomorrow's Christmas. Oh, oh, well. Then you'll have plenty of free time to tear it down. I'll be out the day after to make sure you've done it. Good night. I wasn't much use in argument. Quorum knew that. So he put on his hat and shoveled out. Now Evan was alone again. At least he thought he was alone. The clock on the mantel started striking eight, and that's another time for him to turn in. So he put on his flannel nightshirt and reached for the kerosene lamp to set it on the stool beside the bed. And and right about then, the strangest thing happened. What in tarnation? Johnny, old Eben saw a man's face looking right at him from inside that lamp. Eyes and hair and nose and mouth, whiskers, all, all just as plain as day. Jake! It was old Jake, Evan's partner. There wasn't any mistake about it at all. It was Jake right to a T. Well, Evan sure didn't like the idea of having Jake right in the same room with him. You see, Jake had been dead for over seven years. Not that Evan really believed in ghosts or haunts or anything like that. He told himself he'd just imagine all this. I got to get a hold of myself. He, he put out his hand to turn down the wick, but all of a sudden his fingers started trembling. There was Jake again, across the room this time, standing right by the bureau. No! And when the lamp slipped out of Evan's hand, the, the room didn't get dark at all. Jake seemed to be surrounded by a splotch of bright yellow light, and he was wearing the same boots and breeches and leather jacket that he'd had on seven years ago, the, the day he died. But as Jake came closer, Evan could see that he was wearing something else. A small leather saddle strapped across his back. And hanging down from it were two saddlebags stuffed so full of gold nuggets and mortgage papers and land grants that Jake could hardly drag him across the floor. You recognize me, Evan? Oh, sure, Jake. Why, sure. I'd never forget you, but... Well, what are you doing here? <laughs> and why are you wearing that get-up? Always thinking about land and money. Always scheming and conniving. That's why I wear it. And that's why I've come to warn you, Evan. The saddle you're fixing up for yourself is even heavier than mine. But I don't know what you mean, Jake. I ain't done no wrong. I ain't never done folks no wrong. Have you ever done them any good? Any good at all? Oh, why, sure. I've worked hard. I've saved my money. 
I ain't been a burden on anybody. Why, you should see our ranches, Jake. Oh, the way I've built them up. I have seen them many times. And I've seen a lot more than that, too. That's my punishment. To spend eternity traveling around, seeing mankind with its trials and tribulations, with its joys and hopes. Is that so terrible? Oh, Evan, to watch them and not be able to help them. You'll find out how terrible it is. You'll find out. There must be some way of avoiding this. Uh, You always were, my friend. Jake, tell me what to do. Evan, you've got to find out for yourself. But how? Tonight, at one o'clock, you'll be haunted by a ghost. Another ghost? Pay him heed, Evan. Pay him some heed. Wait, Jake. Don't leave me without it. Jake. The yellow light sort of faded away and the ghost was gone. It was just like he hadn't even been there. And then... And then something caught the corner of Evan's eye. A little glimmer on the floor. And he bent over to pick it up. A gold nugget. Now where on earth did he... And then he remembered. Those saddlebags of Jake's They'd been filled clear to the brim with gold nuggets. We're interrupting our story for only a moment, and only to tell you, our unseen audience, that you have helped more than you may realize to make this a very Merry Christmas for all of us on this program. Your being with us each week, your many kind letters have told us that all the work that goes into bringing you the six-shooter has not been in vain, and we're grateful. So, friends, from all of us, Jimmy Stewart and the cast, our writer, our director, engineers, and sound technicians, our best wishes for a happy holiday season. Oh, yes, and before I forget it, beginning December 31st, the six-shooter will be on the air on Thursdays instead of Sundays. That's beginning Thursday the 31st. The time of broadcast will be listed in your local newspaper. Thank you. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponson. Gee, with a gold nugget. Then Jake's ghost really had been there, huh, mister? Yeah, there just wasn't any doubt about it, Johnny. Well, what happened then? Did the other spook turn up? The one Jake said was coming to see Evan? Oh, sure, Johnny, sure, yeah. He was right on time, too. Evan was lying in bed, wide awake, of course. He hadn't been able to do much sleep, and he's too scared. It was kind of peculiar. Evan was half scared the ghost would come and half scared he wouldn't, you see. But before the sound of the clock had died away... There he was. He's sitting in Evan's rocking chair like he'd been there all night long. And and this ghost was a was a young fellow. Oh, maybe 18, 19. All dooted up the way young bucks like to dress. You know, fancy chaps and checkered shirt and a red bandana tied around his neck. Howdy, Evan. Reckon you've been expecting it. Yeah, well, I... I, I guess so. You ready to take a little trip? Where to? Way back through the years. Oh, but how can I go with It's real easy. You see, I'm the ghost of Christmas past. Your past, Evan. Let's shove on. Well, the next thing Evan knew, 
He and that ghost were standing out on a snow-covered prairie. There was a circle of covered wagons in front of them, and the people from the wagons were gathered together and listening to a tall, white-bearded man. He was reading the Bible. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto and you. you find the, baby the ghost turned and what? pointed to a boy sitting away from the others on the tailboard of one of the wagons. Small boy, all oh, about ten years old, with hollow cheeks and his eyes all red from crying. Oh, oh no. It was, it was Evan himself. On a Christmas day, a long, long time ago. Not a very happy Christmas, either. It was only a week since the oxen had stampeded and his ma had been killed when she fell from the wagon. His pa had died with an Apache arrow in his chest. No, I, I don't want to look at him anymore. Can't you show me another Christmas? Well, it was no sooner said than done. Now, Evan and the ghost were in a bunkhouse. And Evan saw himself again. Oh, he's ten years older than the boy on the prairie, but he was lying on a blanket staring up at the ceiling. And then his pal, Jay, came running in, all out of breath. Come on, Ev. Get a clean shirt on. We got us an invite to a party. Huh? Yeah, the boss is throwing a big shindig. He says he'll fire us if we don't show up. Evan couldn't help remembering that party. Oh, the roast beef and the baked ham and square dancing and the pretty girls in their calico. He couldn't help saying out loud to the ghost. Oh, dear. How I wish I... What was that, Evan? Nothing, Mr. Spurry. Nothing. I, I was just remembering how I treated my foreman today. That's all. After that, the ghost took Evan to three or four more of his old Christmases. And none of them were very happy. Especially that Christmas when the young school marm sitting on the horsehair sofa, had unwrapped the tiny box Evan gave her and then handed it back to him. It's a lovely ring, Evan. But I can't wear it. Well, you're, you're not caught in somebody else. No, Evan. But you are. You're caught in something else. Bill. Land and money, cattle, profits. They mean more to you than I ever would. I'm sorry. Mr. Ghost, no more of the past. Please, I've seen enough. A man wants to forget. Sure, Evan, whatever you say. And before Evan could blink his eyes, he was right back in the hotel room. But once he got there, he, he blinked real hard because all of a sudden the ghost was becoming a different person. He was getting fatter and his stomach popped out two or three inches and a few wrinkles creased his cheeks and... Finally, his shafts turned into a shiny blue serge suit with a heavy gold chain dangling across the vest. Hey, well, what's happened to you? Why are you so different now? You seem to be getting tired of the past, so I thought we might take a gander at the present, if you've got no objection. Well, the hotel room just melted away, and Evan was looking at that cabin his foreman had built on Holly Creek. <laughs> well, that cabin sure was crowded. Oh, there must have been five or six children, all helping their mother get the Christmas dinner, all laughing and talking, as busy as summer coats. But when their father came in, he had a long face and a tired mouth. And 
His wife looked up and wanted to know what was troubling him. Oh, I was just thinking about old Evan. <laughs> That's not a very pleasant thought for Christmas, Bob. Um, by the way, what did you want me to yesterday? Was it about this cabin? Hmm? Yeah. Oh, no, no, of course not. Well, let's get on with dinner. Sit down, everybody. Now, where's my gym, huh? Well, I guess we're just going to have to eat And Bob up. looked all around the room. He, he was pre- pretending he didn't see the little fellow in the corner. The boy with an iron brace on his leg and a wooden crutch propped up against the wall. But little Tammy wasn't going to be ignored. So, Bob picked him up and carried him over to the table. God bless this food, this house, and us and our friends. Even old Evan. Amen. <laughs> the, uh, the family found that part about Evan a little hard to swallow, but they finally managed, and Tim was the last one to chime in. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Evan didn't want to watch what was going on in that cabin any longer, but the next place the ghost showed him wasn't much easier on him. There was a big party going on at his nephew's house back in the livery stable. And one of the ladies was blindfolded, you see, and, and she was trying to pin the tail onto a donkey. But, but there was something peculiar about this donkey, about the way it, about the way it was drawn. It, it, it looked more like a person than an animal. Well, Eben recognized who it was supposed to be right off. <laughs> you see, folks, I invited Uncle Eben to be with us, but he turned me down flat. So I figured we'd have him here in spirit, if not in the flesh. <laughs> right back in the hotel room again. That's where Eben found himself. Spirit. Spirit, you showed me the past and the present. What's left to see? The future, Eben. The future. And that's how Eben came to see a Christmas of the future. A cold, brittle Christmas. And there were two men standing on a street corner, and the coat collars turned up so to keep out the snow. Oh, he's dead, all right. Dead as a doornail. Sure is a Christmas present I never expected. At least whoever handles his property won't be as hard to deal with as he was. Wonder if they'll bother giving him a funeral. And in a frame house over on the side street in the edge of town, a woman was speaking to her husband. Funny. To me, he's been dead for years. Well, I haven't even thought of him since I don't know when. And yet, you know, once... Well, once I was real fond of him. Funny, isn't it? Ghost! Who are they talking about? Those men on the street. That woman I used to know. Who is it that's dead? Tell me. And the ghost slowly turned and stretched out a long, thin, bony finger. And there, right at the end of that finger, was a tombstone, all covered with weeds. Eben could barely make out the name that was carved on it. Ebenezer Scrooge. No. No, no! Uh, what's this? Uh, where am I? Where and you know I? what? He was right in his own bed, in his own nightshirt, and the sun was streaming through the frosted windows. But Evan didn't stay there very long, not for very long. He got into his boots and trousers as fast as he could, and he dashed down the stairs, out into the street. 
Well, you see, the stores being closed gave Evan quite a problem. Well, he just have to make Fuzzy Wagner open the butcher shop up, that's all. Of course, Fuzzy didn't have much choice, seeing as how the shop was located in one of Evan's buildings. And when Evan told him what he wanted, a turkey and a ham, well... No, 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 no. Better make it two hams and send them out to the cabin on the S&M ranch. <laughs> and they're not to know that I ordered them. You understand, Fuzzy? Here's the money and a little extra for your trouble. Well, before Fuzzy could get his jaw shut up again, Evan was on his way, and he headed right straight out to his nephew's house. And Evan was the life of the party, too. Well, the way he carried on, he's laughing and making jokes and telling stories on himself, and he insisted that they use that donkey with his face on it when they played games, you know. Because that's what I've been all these years, a real four-footed, long-eared donkey. <laughs> the next morning, though, that's... That's what Eben enjoyed the most. He was up bright and early and hitched the team to the buckboard and drove out to the S&M, hurrying the horses all the way. Come on, Bess. Come on, Martha. <laughs> Step a little lightly. If he could just get out there before his foreman started tearing down that cabin. Whoa. Whoa, Martha. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Well, Robert? Yes, sir? I see you ain't carried out my orders. Well, it was Christmas. I I just couldn't tell him I'll do it today. Oh, this is the last straw. I'm not putting up with your shenanigans any longer, young fellow. Oh, but please, that don't... cabin's coming down, and no buts about it. And then, uh, and then we're building a new ranch house in this place, big enough for you and your whole family. What? Oh yes, I'm also doubling your wages as of last week. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bob. Even if I am a day late. No, not a day. More like half a lifetime. But Merry Christmas anyway. And, and as your son says, God blesses everyone. Well, that's the way things worked out, Johnny, more or less. Well, that's a fine story, Mister. Real fine. I reckon I know why you told it to me. How's that? So as I understand about Christmas and how important it is to do for other people instead of just thinking about yourself. Well, no, no, I, I didn't have that in mind especially. The story just happened to come into my head. That's all. I just... well, maybe if I could give Aunt Millie something, a present, maybe. Oh, shucks! What could I give her? I don't have no money. Well, of course, there are lots of things that don't cost a penny, not a single red cent, you know. Hmm? Well, now, you... Let's see. Take that little spruce over there. I'd be real easy to cut that down with a little fixing, maybe a few doodads from around the house. I, well, I'll bet you can make a Jim Dandy Christmas tree over there. I suppose so, but what good's a tree without something to put under it? Oh, yes, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, Johnny... Uh, you don't happen to know Jim Bender, do you? In Thompson's Corner and his three daughters? He's only got two, Mr. Sarah and Emily. Oh, is that so? That's so. I, I was spending Christmas with them. I, hmm. Uh, it looks like I'm carrying an extra present. It's a real pretty little red bonnet with feathers on it. I couldn't take it, Mr. Oh, no, no. I, I wasn't thinking of giving it to you, Johnny. I, but I was sort of hoping that you'd show me the trail from here on in. 
Of course, it would mean you're turning around and going back home, but if I was to cause you changing your plans, I'd feel obligated to pay you back some way, you know. Well, I... It would be only fair. Trouble is, I haven't got much money, so if you wouldn't mind accepting the bonnet instead, you'd be doing me a real favor, Johnny. I... about? Oh, no, no. It wouldn't be fair for me to speak out before Christmas. You know that. You... You don't mean he's got something for me. No, no, no. You mustn't get too curious so early. But... But I thought he didn't like me. I thought he just hated having to live here with... with an old maid. I guess I just don't know nothing about kids. Nothing at all. I, I don't deserve to get well, uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I think I'd better get moving along. I, say goodbye to Johnny for him, will you? And uh, I wonder if you'd uh, give this to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, tell him the little blade on it's kind of dull, but... A pocket knife? Yeah. Now, how did you know? Hold on. Oh, God bless you, mister. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Beginning December 31st, the six-shooter will be on Thursdays instead of Sundays. We hope you'll join us in our new time. The Six-Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. The transcribed story was written by Frank Burt in collaboration with Charles Dickens. Mr. Stewart may soon be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Howard McNear played Scrooge, and special music was by Basil Adlam. The entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents are fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. And now, until Thursday the 31st, this is Hal Gibney speaking. Merry Christmas. Harrison and Anna Lee in the NBC Star Playhouse on the NBC Radio Network. James Stewart in The Six Shooter with Britt Ponsett's version of A Christmas Carol from Christmas Week in 1953.
part of a Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast and WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Jill Arold Bailey is our co-producer. Douglas Bell is our audio engineer. And this is WAMU Washington. We're your listener-supported NPR news station from American University. In HD at 88.5, at WRAU 88.3 Ocean City, on your smart speaker, and online at WAMU.org. Well, we promised to emphasize tradition on this Christmas Eve recollection, and there are few holiday traditions sturdier, in America at least, than Frank Capra's 1946 movie masterpiece, It's a Wonderful Life. It was adapted for broadcast by the Lux Radio Theater in the spring, yes, the spring of the following year, and we feature it every holiday season. I don't know about you, but I think we can really use it this year. From CBS, March 10th, 1947, it's original cast members James Stewart and Donna Reed in It's a Wonderful Life from the Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater. Starring James Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore in It's a Wonderful Life. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we bring you one of the season's most inspiring hits. A Liberty Films production that's been nominated for the highest screen award. Yes, It's a Wonderful Life. And we present it now with its original fine stars, Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. Jimmy in the role which won him a nomination for the best performance of the year. Also in our cast is starred that fine comedian, Victor Moore. It's a Wonderful Life is the drama of a typical American. Might be you, it might be me. He dreams of glory, he lives in hope, he loves and doubts, uh, and only providence puts a final value on his service to humanity. Starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary Hatch, and Victor Moore as Clarence. This is the story of George Bailey, citizen of Bedford Falls, New York. George Bailey, who more than anything under the sun wanted to see the world. The wonderful, exciting world that lay somewhere beyond the limits of his hometown. Oddly enough, this story does not begin in Bedford Falls. In fact, it doesn't begin anywhere in the world. It begins in heaven, where the superintendent of angels has just summoned an apprentice angel named Clarence. Oh, I, I'm really going down to earth, sir? Oh, how splendid. Yes. There's a very discouraged man down there, Clarence. George Bailey. At exactly 10.45 p.m., Earth time, he'll be thinking seriously of ending his life. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Now, I want you to stop him if you can. Now, sit down, sit down. I'll give you Bailey's case history. Uh, sir, if, uh, if I should accomplish my mission, may I perhaps get my wings... I've been waiting over 200 years now, and, well, people are beginning to talk. 
Clarence. What's that book? The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, sir. I was reading it when you sent for me. Oh, fine book. Excellent. Well, you do a good job on George Bailey, and we'll see about your wing. Oh, thank you, sir. Now, listen. When George Bailey was a boy, two events occurred that you should keep in mind. One was when his young brother, Harry, fell through the ice and almost drowned. George saved him. Brother fell through the ice. George saved him. Ever since, George's had a bad ear. All that icy water, uh, you understand. Yeah, bad ear, yes, sir. The other event came a few months later. George used to work after school in Mr. Gower's drugstore. One day, Mr. Gower's only son died of influenza. It was a terrible blow, and poor Mr. Gower tried to lose his grief in whiskey. Where you been, George? Mrs. Blaine's called twice. What happened to her prescription? You lost it, didn't you? No, Mr. Gower. Here it is. Well, you good for nothing. Don't you know that Blaine girl's very sick? Mr. Gower, my ear. You're hurting my sore I'll ear. teach you to loaf, you lazy brat. Mr. Gower, you don't know what you're doing. You put something wrong in those capsules. Shut up. Oh, I know you feel bad, but look, Mr. Gower, look. This bottle, you use this bottle to make up the capsules. It's poison. Don't hurt my sore again, Mr. Gower. Oh, George. That's why you deliver, Mr. Gower. All I wanted was to make sure. George, George. Well, Clarence, that was George Bailey as a boy. When he grew up, he wanted to go to college, but there just wasn't the money. So he worked four years in the Building and Loan Association. Building and Loan Association? Oh, I forgot to tell you. George's father was in the building and loan business. He and George's uncle, Billy. High ideals and low bank account. Anyway, George worked for his father and saved enough to see him through the university. That summer, though, he was going to Europe. Got a job on a cattle boat. Do a little traveling before college. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's hard to realize that my last night in the Bailey boarding house. We're sure going to miss you, George. Oh, I'm going to miss you, too, Pop. Hey, what's the matter? You look tired. Oh, I had another tussle with old Henry Potter today. Well, I thought when you put him on the board of directors, he'd ease up. Oh, so did I. I just can't understand a man like Mr. Potter. He can't begin to spend all the money I he has. I guess Potter owns about everything he wants in Bedford Falls except our building and loan. That's why he hates us. Hey, George, can I borrow your tuxedo studs? Yeah, help yourself, Harry. Well, where are they? In your suitcase? Well, I'm not taking a tuxedo on a cattle boat, you hey, know. Say, where'd you get that suitcase anyway? Oh, Mr. Gower, going away present. And one of these days, you're going to see that bag all covered with travel labels. Italy and Baghdad, Samarkand. Could have a pretty full summer, eh? I'm going to have a pretty full life. Hey, why don't you come to the dance tonight? Why, well, I'd be bored to dance. Well, you couldn't want a better death. Lots of pretty girls. Hey, I got a hurry. I wish we could send Harry to college with you, George. Oh, we've got that all figured out now, Pop. He'll take over my job at the building and loan, work four years like I did, and then he'll go. Well, he's pretty young for that job. Well, no younger than I was. <laughs> Maybe you were born older, George. Huh? George, when you get out of college, I don't suppose you'd come back to the building and loan. Oh, no, no Pop, I... I... I just couldn't. I, I couldn't face being cooped up the rest of my life in a shabby little office. I, I, oh, I, I'm sorry, Pop. Now, I, I didn't mean that, but it's just this business of nickels and dimes. I'd go crazy. I, I want to do something big, something important. Well, in a small way, we are doing something important, George. In that shabby little office, we help people figure out how they can own their own homes. I know, I know, Pop. I, I just wish I felt that I... I, I but I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. I... <laughs> You're right, boy. You get yourself an education, then get out of here. Oh, Pop, you... Pop, you want a shock? 
I think you're a pretty great guy. Well, thanks, George. I'm glad to hear it. Look, um, why don't you go on over to Harry's dance? You'd have a good time. Well, I don't know. Maybe it will drop in. Yeah, maybe it will at that. So, George Bailey went to a dance. Is that important, Joseph? Why, it was at the dance he met Mary Hatch. Oh. And three hours later, he was walking her home. George and Mary were feeling pretty good, Clarence. As a matter of fact, wonderful. Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gal, can't you come out tonight? And dance by the light of the moon. Oh, hot dog. Oh, boy, just like an organ. <laughs> At least. <laughs> hey, you know, you know something? If it wasn't me talking, I'd say you were the prettiest girl in town. Well, why don't you say it? Well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Hey, how old are you anyway? Eighteen. Eighteen? Too young or too old? No, 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 it's just right. It sort of fits you. Hey, hey, look where we are. Hmm? Oh, the old Granville house. Yeah, I gotta throw a rock. Oh, no, don't. I, I love that old house. Well, no, don't you know about deserted houses? You, you make a wish and then throw a rock. George, but it, it was such a lovely old place. I wish I lived there. In there? I wouldn't live in it as a ghost. Now, watch. Watch this. Here we go. How about it, huh? Pretty good shot, huh? Broke a window, huh? What'd you wish, George? Oh, I don't know. Not just one wish, a whole hat full. Mary, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. And then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields and skyscrapers a hundred stories high and bridges a mile long. And then I'm going to... Hey, hey, Mary... What is it you want? What do you want, huh? You want the moon? All you gotta do is just say the word now. Okay, the moon, I'll take it. Then what? Then what? Well, well, then you could swallow it, and, and it'd dissolve like an aspirin, you know? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and the ends of your hair, and the, the, uh, you, you think I'm talking too much? Yes, why don't you kiss her instead of talking her to death? How's that? Uh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. Why? Hey, just a minute, mister. Hey, you come back here. I'll show you some kissing George, if you want it. George! Hey, Uncle Billy, look here. I'm going to kiss Mary. Watch. George, get in the car quick. Your father's had a stroke. What? what? George, had... get in. Hurry. Well, George's father died that night, Clarence. So, of course, George couldn't go to Europe. But that fall, just as he was ready to leave for college, the directors of the building and loan had a meeting. They were going to appoint a successor to Mr. Bailey. What was that you said, Mr. Potter? I said as long as Peter Bailey's dead, let's dissolve the building and loan. We don't need it. Now, wait a minute. Now, you wait a minute. Peter Bailey was not a businessman. Ideals without common sense can ruin a town. What do we get? A discontented, lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class. Oh, hold on, Mr. Potter. Hold oh, on. I meant no disrespect, George, but... Oh, wait a minute, Harry. Why my father ever started this cheap penny-ante building and loan, I'll never know. But just remember this, Mr. Potter, this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and the paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, 
In my book, Mr. Potter, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book, George. I'm talking about the building and loan. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on that's galling. That's what you're talking about. Well, this town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can borrow a few dollars without crawling to you. Now, come on, Uncle Billy. What happened, George? Yeah, all we heard was a lot of yelling. Boy, oh, boy, you should have heard, George. Yeah, they're in there voting us out of business. Oh, who cares? I can get another job. I'm only 41. 45. Will you get out of here, George? You missed your boat trip. Do you want to miss college, too? George, we've just voted Potter down. We're still in business. Whoopee! We're still in business. We're still in business. But there's one condition, George. They've appointed you to take your father's place. Appoint me? But I'm going to college. Look, this is my last chance. Uncle Billy's your man. Uh, George, you've got to take it. They'll vote with Potter otherwise. They said so. They even... I know George Bailey didn't go to college. That's right, Terrence. He gave his, his college money to Harry. Harry went instead. But what happened to that good-looking girl, you know, Mary? Oh, George saw her now and then. Not very often, though, because Mary went away to school, too. Anyway, George waited four years more for Harry to come back and take over the building and loan. He could still see the world. He planned to work in the oil fields, Venezuela. Except when Harry came home, he wasn't alone. There was a girl with him, his wife. George? Yeah, I'm out here on the porch, Mother. I just thought I'd get some air. Well, how, how do you like your new sister-in-law? Oh, she's swell. Looks like she can keep Harry on his toes. Yeah, yeah, I keep him out of Bedford Falls anyway. What do you mean? Well, Ruth's father, she's, he's got a wonderful job for Harry up in Buffalo. Buffalo? Well, that means you... Yeah. You can't... Yeah. George, did you know Mary Hatch is back from school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice girl, Mary. Mm -hmm. Oh, stop grunting. Mm -hmm. Give me one good reason why you shouldn't call on Mary. Well, Sam Wainwright. Sam's crazy about Mary. Well, she's not crazy about him. Well, now, how do you know that? Did she discuss it with you? How do you... Besides, Sam's away in New York. Oh, and all's fair in love and war. Uh-huh, I see. Okay, Mother, I think I'll go out and find that girl and do a little passionate necking. Oh, George. <laughs> Goodbye, Miss Bailey. By the way, do you want any books at the library? Library? George! George, you go and see Mary. Do you hear? George, is that you out there? Oh, oh hello, Mary. Well, are you coming in? I just happened to be passing by here. Oh, I thought you were picketing. Have you made up your mind? How's that? Have you made up your mind? About what? About coming in. Your mother just phoned. She said you were coming over. My mother just phoned. What does she mean, Carla? I, I, I just happened to be passing by, that's all. I didn't... Well? Well, all right, I'll come in for a minute, but I, I didn't tell anybody I was coming here. You, you feel I can't go out for a walk nowadays without you. When did you, you get back? Tuesday. Mm. Where'd you get that dress? Do you like it? It's all right. Well, no point standing here on the porch. Come on in. I, I still can't understand it. I didn't tell anybody I was coming here, you know. Would you rather leave? Well, no, I don't want to be rude. <laughs> Sit down for a while. It's nice about your brother and Ruth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Don't you like her? Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. Oh, just marriage in general you're not enthusiastic about, hmm? No, no. Marriage is all right for a lot of people. It's all right for Harry Sam Wainwright, and you. For Sam? It's George Bailey, Mother. What's he want? I don't know. What do you want? 
Me? I, not a thing. Not a thing. And I, I just came in to get warm. He's making violent love to me, Mother. You just tell him to go right back home. Sam said he'd call you tonight from New York, didn't he? I guess so. How about some music? Uh, you know, your mother needs... You know, I didn't come here to... What did you come here for, then? Uh, I don't know. You're supposed to be the one with all the answers. You tell me. Oh, why don't you go home? I don't know why I came here in the first place. Good night. Good night. Okay, the way you're shouting, you'd think that... You'd think what? All right, I'll get it. George, on your way out, would you mind turning off the phonograph? I'd be very happy to. I've gone crazy, song. Hello? Sam? Mary! Gee, it's good to hear your voice. How are you, Sam? I forgot my hat. Hee-haw. What? Oh, I, I was just talking to an old friend of yours, George Bailey. Old Mossback George? Old Mossback George. Well, put him on. I'll talk to him, too. Wait a second. George! He doesn't want to speak to George. He does so. He asked for him. Why'd you call me? Because if you are, I, I'm in a hurry. I got... Sam wants to talk to you. Oh. Oh. Hiya, Sam. Hey, fine pal you are, trying to steal my girl. Now, what do you mean? Nobody's trying to steal anybody's girl. Here, Mary, take the... No, no, here. no, wait, wait, George. I want to speak to you both. Tell Mary to get in the extension upstairs. He says for you to get on the extension upstairs. I can't. Mother's on the extension. <laughs> I am not. Yeah, we, we can both hear, George. Just put your head a little closer. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's better. Uh, we're, we're listening, Sam. Well, I have a big deal coming up that's going to make us all rich. George, you remember that time you told me about making plastics out of soybeans? Soybeans, yeah, yeah, soybeans, yeah. Well, yeah, my yeah. father's checked into it, George, see, and now he's going to put up a factory. How do you like that? A factory, huh? And yeah. here's the point, George. I may have a job for you unless you're still married to that broken-down building and loan. Oh, Mary? Uh, I'm here. You tell that guy I'm giving him a chance of a lifetime, do you hear? He says it's the chance of a lifetime. And give me that form. Here's George again, Sam. George. Now, you listen to me, Mary. I don't want any plastics, and I don't want any job, and I don't want to get married ever to anyone. Do you understand that? I want to do what I want to do, and, and you're not going to trick me. And you're... Mary. George. Mary. Oh, Mary, darling, I, I love you, Mary. So George Bailey and Mary Hatch were... Yes, George and Mary were married. Mm. And they started off on their honeymoon in Ernie Bishop's taxicab. Hey, where are you two going on this here now, honeymoon? We're going to shoot the works, Ernie. A whole week in New York, a whole week in Bermuda, the highest hotel, the oldest champagne, the hottest music, and the prettiest wife. <laughs> so you're finally getting out of Bedford Falls, huh? Then what? Then what, honey? After that, who cares? That does it. Hey, you know, Mrs. Bailey, I haven't kissed you. Hey, George, I... there's something funny going on over there. Look, look over there with the blanket. Look huh? like a run. All right. Pull over a minute, will you, Ernie? George, let's not stop. Please, let's go straight to the station. No, wait station. a minute. I'd better see what it is. I'll be right back. George, please. George! It's a Wonderful Life, starring Jimmy Stewart as George, Donna Reed as Mary, and Victor Moore as Clarence. Well, we're back in heaven again, 
where the superintendent of angels is reviewing the case history of a mortal named George Bailey. Clarence, the apprentice angel, is very eager to depart on his mission to the earth. Poor George Bailey. Oh, he's certainly in desperate trouble, Joseph. I'll go to him at once. Now, you sit down, Clarence. Sit down. We're nowhere near the point where George Bailey's thinking of taking his life. We're not? Now, uh, where were we? Uh, Oh, yes, yes. George and Mary had just started out on their honeymoon when they ran smack into the financial panic of 1932. In the waiting room of the building and loan, a hundred frantic people were clamoring for their safety. Hey, what's going on, Uncle Billy? What's happened? All those people out there. This is a pickle, George. All I know is the bank called our loan an hour ago. I had to hand over all our cash. Holy mackerel. Whole town's gone crazy. Bank's in the same spot we are. Our charter, too. What about our charter? Our charter says we have to stay open until 6 p.m. The state can take away our license if we don't. How can we stay open until 6 without any money? George, where are you going? Out to talk to those people. Come on. Now, please. Now, please, folks. Now, just a minute. Just a minute. Now, please. How about our money, George? Where's our money? Now, come on. Now, please. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, listen to me. Now, you're thinking of this place all wrong. Your money's not here. Now, wait a minute. Now, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Your money's in people's houses. In the Kennedy house, in the McLaren house, and in your house, and a hundred others. Now, what are you going to do? Foreclose on them? I got $240 in shares. Now, let me have it. All right. All right, Charlie. Now... You'll get your money in 60 days. 60 days? Well, now, look, that's what you, that's what you agreed on when you bought your shares. I got my money! Well, 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 old man Potter's taking over the bank. He'll pay you 50 cents on every dollar. Then let's take our shares to Potter. Half is better than nothing. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Please, folks, I beg of you not to do this. If Potter gets hold of your shares, he'll be owning this building and loan. And he's got the bank, he's got the bus line, he's got the department stores, and now he's after us because he wants to keep you living in his shacks and paying the kind of rent he decides to charge. Now, we can get through this thing, all right, but we've got to stick together. We've got to have faith in each other. My husband's out of work. We need money. I've got doctor bills to pay. I can't feed my kids on faith. Well, that's what you need. We've still got some money. Hey, Mary. Here it is, George. You told me to hold on to it. Would have made a nice honeymoon. Bought furniture, too. Hey, now, wait a minute, folks. Listen. I've got $2,000. All right, Charlie, how much do you need? $240. No, Charlie, now listen, just enough to tide you over. I said $240. Okay, okay. Uncle Billy, give Charlie $240. All right, Ed. Now, how much just to get by on? $20, I suppose. Oh, you're talking. Now, Mrs. Thompson, how about you? $20 will do me. Good, good. $20, Uncle Billy. Pay it back when you can now. Pay it back when you can. All right, all right. Who's next? Look at the clock. Look. Five seconds, four seconds, three, two, one. Six o'clock. We made it. Lock that door, Eustace. Quick. Boy, we're still in business, Uncle Billy. We've even got two bucks left. Hmm? George, there's a call for you. Okay, and then call my wife, will you? She's probably over at Mother's. Mrs. Bailey's on the line. No, I don't want Miss Bailey. I want my wife. Mrs. Bailey. Miss Bailey. That, that's my wife. That's my... Give me the phone, will you? Hey, Mary. Listen, Mary. I'm sorry. I... I... Hmm? Come home. What home? Well, 323 Sycamore. Well, whose home is that? What? Well, Mary, how can I... Well, sure, all right, sure, I'll, I'll be there. Clarence, guess what 323 Sycamore was? His mother-in-law's house, huh? Oh, no. Number 323 Sycamore was the old Granville house, the one George threw rocks at and made wishes. Yes, sir, that's where they spent their honeymoon. That's where they started housekeeping. They were still living there two years later when old man Potter asked George to stop over at his office. Sit down, George. Sit down, do. Uh, have a cigar? Well, thank you, sir. 
Uh, George, you're a young man, married, making, say, $40 a week at the building and loan. Forty-five. Forty-five. Now, if you were some ordinary yokel, I'd say you were doing fine. But George Bailey is intelligent, ambitious. He hates the building and loan almost as much as I do. He's been dying to get out of town ever since he was born, but he's trapped. Trapped into frittering his life away, playing nursemaid to a lot of garlic eaters... Do I paint a correct picture, George, or do I exaggerate? Well, what's your point, Mr. Potter? My point is that you're the only man in town who has licked me. George, I want to hire you. Manage my affairs. I'll start you off at $20,000 a year. $20,000 a year? Are you sure you're talking to me? I'm George Bailey. Don't you remember me? The building and loan, remember? Yes, George Bailey, whose ship has just come in, providing he has sense enough to climb aboard. Well, but, but... What about the building and loan? Confound it, man. I'm offering you a three-year contract at $20,000 a year. Is it a deal or isn't it? No, no. The answer's no doggone it. If you offered me a million dollars to stay around this town and play stooge to you, the answer'd still be no. Now, let me alone. Don't bother me. George, what did Mr. Potter want? Oh, it's nothing. He just talked, talked. It's nothing. Oh, gee. Mary Hatch. Mary, why in the world did you ever marry a guy like me, anyway? <laughs> to keep from being an old maid. I was going to see the world. I was going to build things. I was going to give you the moon. What have I given you? What have I given you? Not even a new dress, not for months. I... Gee whiz, I feel awful. So do I. Mornings, especially. I could have married Sam Wainwright, anybody else in town. I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. No, you didn't even have a honeymoon, and I promised you that you, 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 what? My baby. You're, you, you, hey, Mary, Mary, you mean you're on the nest? A boy. You don't say. Then she had another one. A girl. Well, what do you know? Night after night, George had come home late from the office. Things weren't good with the building and loan. Potter was really bearing down on him. Then came the war. Mary had another baby by then. Oh. But she still had time to help out in USO. Uncle Billy sold war bonds. And George's brother Harry became a real hero. Shot down 15 planes. But, George, what about George? Well, George was 4F, his bad ear. He was an air raid warden. On VE Day, he wept and prayed. On VJ Day, he wept and prayed again. We're, uh, we're getting pretty close to today, aren't we, sir? Yes, Clarence. You now know almost everything you have to know about George Bailey, except what happened that finds him down there at this moment, wanting to die. Well... Sir, well... Well, today's the day before Christmas. Uh, Earth time. George is pretty excited. Hey, Tilly! Useless! Hey, look at the newspaper. Commander Harry Bailey, decorated by the president. That's my kid brother. The Congressional Medal of Honor. Gosh, George, gosh. What do you think about the 15 Jap planes? And the last one he got was just about to dive into a transport loaded with soldiers. You know what that means? He saved lives, hundreds of lives. Gee, where's Uncle Billy? Huh? Oh, going to the bank, George. He's oh. depositing that $8,000. Good, good, good. Go. Who's that in his office there? It's that man again, the bank examiner. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. 
Hey, uh, Telly, get the books from Mr. Carter, will you? You know, that's my brother's picture there, Mr. Carter. He shot down 15 planes, and one of them was just about... Well, well, Mr. Henry, your father come to the bank to deposit some more loot, eh? Sure, you old fool. How do you like the news in the paper, Mr. Potter? Just can't keep those Bailey boys down now, can you? Oh, let me see that newspaper. Here, sorry I can't chat, you old thief. Got to make a deposit. Uh, here you are, Horace, deposit slip, bank book, and a very Merry Christmas to you. You too, Mr. Bailey. Say, you've forgotten something, haven't you? Horace, I've forgotten things all my life. Get a wiggle on, boy. But, Mr. Bailey, where's the money? Uh, wh- what's that? You want to make a deposit? Want well, certainly I want Well, it's customary to bring the money with you. It's gone. Where'd I put it? Where'd I put that money? A terrible thing, Clarence. Terrible. Uncle Billy couldn't find the money because the envelope with the $8,000 was folded up in that newspaper he gave to old man Potter. I just don't know what happened to it, George. I just don't know. $8,000. Uncle Billy, the bank examiner's here, and it's not our money. It belongs to the depositor. George, what, what are we going to do? We've traced every step I took. We can't stand here in the street. Are you sure you didn't put that envelope in your coat pocket? I, I, I think so. Maybe, maybe... Oh, I'm no good to you, George. I'm no good. Now, listen to me. Now, listen to me. Think. Think, will you? Now, try and think. I can't think anymore. I I can't. Where's that money, you silly old fool? You know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Now, get out of my way. I'm going home. George, dear, what's wrong? You haven't said a word since you came home. Oh, well, that banging on that piano, does she have to just keep playing that same piece over and over and over and over again? I have to practice the Christmas party, Daddy. What is it, dear? Another hectic day. Yeah. Yeah, another red-letter day for the baby. Dad, Murphy's got a brand-new car. You should see it. What's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? I'm sorry, Dad. I only... Run upstairs, Petey. See if Zuzu's all right. Okay, Mom. Now, what do you mean? What to see if Zuzu's all right? What do you mean? Oh, she caught a little cold coming home from school. She didn't button up her coat. Well, what is it? What is it? What do you mean, just a cold? George, the doctor said it was nothing serious. The doctor? Was the doctor here? Well, I thought he'd better look at her. It's this old drafty house. It's no wonder we don't all have pneumonia. We might as well be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's happened? Everything's happened. You call this a happy family? Why do we have to have all these kids? Daddy, how do you spell Frankenstein? I don't know how you spell. You ask your mother. Where are you going? Upstairs to see Zuzu. Hello? Oh, thank you, Mrs. Welch. I'm sure she'll be all right. Who's that? Zuzu's school teacher. What? Oh, yes, the doctor says she'll be fine tomorrow. Here, give me that phone. George, please. Mrs. Welch? Well, this is Mr. Bailey. Say, what kind of a teacher are you, anyway? What do you mean, sending Zuzu home like that half-naked? Do you realize you probably end up with pneumonia just because of your stupidity? You know, maybe my kids aren't the best-dressed kids in town, but at least... Hello? Hello? Janie, will you stop playing that lousy piano? Cut it out! Stop it! George, for heaven's sake, what's wrong with you? I'm sorry. I'm... Janie, I'm sorry. Mary, I've I, I just got to get out of here. That's it, George. Your short $8,000 in your accounts, eh? Oh, please, Mr. Potter, I'll, I'll pay any sort of a bonus if you still want the building and loan. I, you say it I'll was let... lost. Have you notified the police? No, sir, I haven't done that yet. Harry's home. Oh, I come tomorrow. to me. What about your good friend Sam Wainwright? I can't get a hold of him. He's in Europe. What kind of security would I have, George? What collateral? Yes, sir, I have some life insurance here. I 
$15,000 policy. Mm. What's your equity in it? $500. And you want $8,000? You once called me a warped, frustrated old man. Well, what are you but a warped, frustrated young man crawling on your hands and knees for help? Why don't you go to the riffraff you love so well? Ask them for help. I'll do anything, Mr. Potter, please. Please help me, Miss. My wife and kids... I'm calling the district attorney. $500. You know something, George? You're worth more dead than you are alive. Now get out of here. Get out! And all the time, Potter had the $8,000 in his desk drawer. It's still there, Terrence. But where's George, sir? Where? Well... He went over to Martini's Cafe. He's had a couple of drinks, Clarence. He's just standing there, sort of in a day. Oh, God. Oh, God, dear Father in heaven, I, I'm, I'm not a praying man, but if, if you're up there and, and you can hear me, please show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope. I, show me the way to God. Mr. Bailey, you all right? Don't drink anymore, Mr. Bailey. Please, you don't feel a good. Bailey? Did you say Bailey? Which Bailey? This gentleman is Mr. Bailey, George Bailey. George Bailey, huh? And the next time you talk to my wife like that, she'll get worse. It isn't enough. She slaves teaching your stupid kids how to read and write. You got a ball. You get out of here, Mr. Welch. You hit my best friend. Get out. All right, I'm Mr. Bailey, you. You okay? Who's that? Mr. Wells, but don't worry. He don't come in this place no more. I'll get something for your face. It's bleeding. I'm all right. But please, don't go away, Let me Mr. Bailey. Please, don't Let me go away. Well, George left Martini's Cafe five minutes ago, Clarence. He's at the river now, on the bridge, looking at the water. Are you ready, Clarence? All ready, sir. Very well. Save George Bailey's life. And you get your wings. My wings. Oh, thank you, Joseph. George! George Bailey! Get away from that bridge! You hear me? George! George! despair, convinced, as Mr. Potter said, that he's worth more dead than alive, George Bailey stands on a bridge, staring at the dark and frigid waters below. Suddenly, there's a splash. Help! Help! I'm drowning! Help! Help! No, that's not George. It's Clarence, the apprentice angel. And there goes George in after him. Hmm. It's a few minutes later now, and in the bridgekeeper's shack, George and Clarence are drying off. You both sure you're all right? You, you want a doctor? No, I'm all right. I'm all right. Oh, I'm fine. This underwear, I didn't have time to get anything more stylish. My wife gave me this on my last birthday. I passed away in it. You... You what, mister? Mm. I see Tom Sawyer is drying out, too. Who? My book. I left in such a hurry, I brought Tom Sawyer with me. Hey, how'd you happen to fall in? Oh, I jumped in. I jumped in to save you. Jumped in to save me? Well, I... I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Hey, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. 
Where do you come from? Heaven. Oh, that's very funny. Right. Your your lips bleeding. Yeah, yeah, I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer. Oh, no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. Hey, how, how'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. Well, who are you supposed to be, anyway? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Clarence Oddbody. Well, what's, that, what's the AS2 for? Angel, second class. Hey, I'm getting out of here. You may not need a doctor, but I do. Here you are, my good man. Hey, look here. Why why'd you want to save me? Because I'm your guardian angel, George. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Well, you look like about the kind of an angel I'd get. What, <laughs> what, uh, what happened to your wings? Well, I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Oh, I see. But you can help me earn them, George, by... Letting me help you. Oh, uh, don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you, do you? Oh, no, no, we, we don't use money in heaven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I see. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. <laughs> oh, cut, cut, cut. Of course, I found it out a little late. You know, I'm worth more dead than alive. You mustn't talk like that. Joseph will never give me my wings if you keep feeling that way. You just don't realize what you've done for your folks. Why, if it hadn't been for you... Yes, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be better off. My wife and my kids and my friends. Oh, this is not going to be easy. I'd all be better off if I hadn't been born. What did you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. George, that's wonderful. It's wonderful? What? The idea you just gave me. Well, you've got your wish. You've never been born. I've never been born? Exactly. No worries, no $8,000 to get, nothing. You simply don't exist. All right, all right, okay, all right. George, I can do things, strange things. I can show you the world, George, the way it would be if you hadn't been born. Hey, wait, hey, wait a minute, this ear of mine. Hey, say something else in that bad ear. You don't have a bad ear anymore. Oh, I don't think you're concentrating. Oh. Don't you see? You're not the George Bailey you think you are. You're well, uh... You're nobody. Oh, that's the doggonest thing I ever saw, that, that ear. Your lips stop bleeding, too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, hey what's, what's happening around here? What is this, anyway? I need a drink, that's what I need. What, what about you, Angel? You want a drink? Well, I, I don't quite know. Come on, I... come on, we'll go as soon as our clothes are dry. Clothes are dry, George. Hey, this, so they are, that's funny. Well, look, let's get dressed and we'll stroll over to Martini's and then... Uh, oh, excuse me, I mean, I'll stroll. You fly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't have my You don't wings. have your wings yet, that's um, right. I forgot that again. A couple of drinks and we'll both fly, huh? What'll you have, fellas? Hey, where's the boss? Where's Martini? Look, wise guy, I'm the boss, see? Okay, well, double scotch, quick, will you? What's yours? You know what I just love? Some mulled wine. Huh? Heavy on the cinnamon and light on the cloves. Off with you, my lad, and lively now. Now, cut it out. Oh, no, come on, you. Just give him the same as I ordered. He's okay. He's uh, two double scut. What about this place? It's all changed. All of Bedford Falls has changed. You're having your wish, George. You've never been born. Oh, there'll be lots of things you've never seen before. Oh, good. Somebody just made it. Made what? Every time a bell rings, it means some angel's got his wings. What'd you say? Uh, 
Look, uh, Clarence, I don't think you better talk about angels around here. Yeah. Don't they believe in angels? Oh, yeah, they believe in them, but you know, it's just a little well, then thing. Then why that, should uh, people be surprised when they see one? Uh, don't mind him, bartender. He's just a little fellow. He just never grew up. And how old are you anyway, Clarence? Well, next May, I'll be 293. That does it. A couple of pixies, huh? Go on, get your hemi get. Where's Martini? Will you Stop tell me? asking about Martini. He ain't here and he... Hey, you. Rami, didn't I tell you never to come panhandling around here? George, look. Hey, it's Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Listen, Mr. Gower, don't you know me? This is George Bailey. You, you buy me a drink, mister? Just one drink, will you, mister? Pinky! Yeah, Nick. Throw the rummy out. Oh, no, no, please. Hey, bartender, that's, that's Mr. Gower, the druggist. That rum head spent 20 years in jail for poisoning some kid. If you knew him, you must be a jailbird yourself. Pinky, here's two more. Get him out of here. Get up, George. Good thing he threw us in the snowbank, huh? Where's, where's Mr. Gower? Mr. Gower doesn't know you, George. You see, you weren't there to stop him from putting poison into that prescription. What do you mean I wasn't there? Look, look tell me, what are you? Are you a hypnotist? George. Look, well, why am I seeing all these strange things here? Don't you understand it's because you were not born? Well, if I wasn't born, then who am I? Nobody. You have no identity. Well, what do you mean, I have no identity? No papers, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. Zuzu's bell. What? Zuzu's bell. I bought my little girl a bell to hang on the Christmas tree, and I forgot to give it to her. I've got it in my... I... It's gone. It's gone, too. Everything's gone. But you've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like if you'd never been born. You're crazy. You're crazy as a bedbug, and you're driving me crazy, too. Now look, I'm going home to my wife and family. Do you understand that? And I'm going home alone. Better not leave him alone, Clarence. Keep following him. Joseph, oh, I'll stay near him, sir. Poor George. He's seeing Main Street now the way it'd be if he hadn't lived. The thing that's really shocked him, sir, is the building and loan office. Know what's there now? Pawn shop. What's he doing? Can you see? He's talking to Ernie Bishop, the taxi driver. He wants to go home. You better tag along, Clarence. Oh, I will, sir. I will. Come on, step on it, will you, Ernie? Get me home. I'm off my nut. Where do you live, buddy? Oh, now, doggone it, Ernie. Don't you start pulling that stuff on me. 323 Sycamore. 323 Sycamore. Yeah, hurry up. Zuzu's sick. Okay, buddy. Hey, look, Ernie, I, I don't know what's happened. I'm going crazy or something. I've got some bad liquor. I... Now, look, tell me this now. You're Ernie Bishop, right? And you live with your wife and kid, don't you? Have seen my wife? What do you mean? I've seen your wife. I've been in your house a hundred times. What do you, we, we built it for you, didn't we? Bud, my wife took the kid and ran away five years ago, and I ain't never seen you before in my life, see? Okay, Ernie, okay, okay. Just step on it. Get me home. Mary! Mary, where are you? Janie, Petey, Zuzu. Zuzu, where are you? This is just an old abandoned house, George. You have no wife. No children. Where are they? What have you done with them? Hey, I'll break that since I told you. All right, up with your hands. Oh, Bert, Bert the cop. Thank heaven you're here. Now, look, why don't you be a good fella and I'll take you to a doctor. Bert, now, Bert, listen to me. What's the matter with you guys? Now, listen, it's that fellow there. He says he's an angel. He tried to hypnotize me. I hate to use my nightstick, but I guess I... Ow! Uh, run, George, run. He can't hit you while I'm Ow! biting him. George, run. My teeth aren't what they used to be. Joseph, help. Joseph, Joseph. 
Where'd they go, Arnie? Where'd they go? I, I, I don't know. They just disappeared. Oh, Joseph, I hope you don't mind my calling on you like I did. Well, it was very irregular, Clarence. You're by yourself again. Where's George? He's at his mother's house, sir. Well, if George hasn't been born, he has no mother. Oh, he's being very stubborn, sir. He'll just have to find these things out for himself. But his mother, that's a terribly bitter blow to a man, his old mother not knowing him. You mean I shouldn't have let him? I mean you better find him right away. Oh, and stop fighting policemen, Clarence. I'm here again, George. My mother, my own mother didn't know me. If only Harry were here. My brother were only back from Washington. Your brother fell through the ice and was drowned at the age of nine. Well, that's a lie. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. Every man on that transport died. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. Harry wasn't there to save them because you weren't there to save Harry. Don't you see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Clarence. Yes? Where's Mary? Please, where's my wife? I, uh, I'm not supposed to tell. Tell me where she is. You're not going to like it, George. Where is she? I'll choke it out of you if I have to. Where's my wife? The library. She works there. She's just about to lock up for the night. So I, uh... George! George! Come back! Oh, there must be some easier way for me to get my wings. Mary. Mary. I'm sorry. The library's closed. Mary, it's George. Don't you know me? No, I don't know you. Let me go. Mary, please, don't do this to me, Mary. Please, help me. Help me. Where, where are our kids, Mary? I need you, Mary. Oh, get please. away from me. Help! Help! Help me. help me, Mary. I'm George. Mary! Clarence. Oh, where is he, Joseph? Where is George? I'm afraid I've lost him, sir. You knew you shouldn't have let him try to see Mary. Now they're after him. Mama. They think he was trying to hurt her. Joseph, I won't even get one wing, will I? You have one more chance, Clarence. Get over to the bridge by the river. I think George has seen just about enough. But, but the mob... Oh, don't worry. They've lost him, too. Now, hurry up. Oh, thank you, Joseph. Thank you. Clarence. Clarence! Clarence, where are you? I'm here, George. Help me, Clarence. Get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Only get me back to my wife and kids, please. I want to live again. Oh, thank you, George. Thank you, boy. I want to live again, please. Oh, God, please let me live again. George? Is that you down there, George? Now, get out of here, Bert. Get out of here. You come in any closer, I'll, what the I'll let you have it. What the hell are you yelling for, George? Come on. George. George, Bert. Bert, do you know me? No, yeah. I've been looking all over town for you. Where you been? Hey, Bert. Bert. I'm alive again, Bert. You sure you're all right? Hey, your mouth's bleeding. It is. Hey, my mouth's bleeding. Bert, look at, look at the blood come out of there, would you? Uh, and 
Where's Zuzu's Christmas bell, Bert? I had it right in my pocket. Here it is! Hey, it's in my pocket! What do you know about it? Hey, Merry Christmas, Bert! Well, Merry Christmas. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. You will, Bert? We'll do that. I turn the siren wide open, huh? Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls! Hey, Merry Christmas, old building alone! Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! Yippee! Come on. Hey, Bert, come on, come on in with me, huh? What are these people, these reporters? Hey, oh, oh, Merry Christmas, reporters. Hey, Mr. Bank Examiner, Merry Mr. Christmas. Mr. Bailey, there's a deficit. I know, $8,000, I'll bet, huh? George, I've got a little paper here. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I bet it's a warrant for my arrest. Isn't that wonderful? Merry Christmas. Hey, where's Mary, you know? Uh, look at this wonderful old drafty house. Shouldn't it wonder? Have you seen my wife? Where's Mary? Mary! Hey, kid, Janie, Petey! Hey, oh, I could eat you up. Where's your mother? She went looking for you, Daddy, with Uncle Billy. Oh, Daddy? Zuzu, my little ginger snap. How do you feel, huh? Fine, Daddy. Not a snitch of temperature. Not a snitch of temperature. Hallelujah! George! George, darling! It's Mommy! Mommy's home! Mary! George, where have you been? Mary, oh, George, oh Mary, George. Now, look, just let me touch you. Oh, you're real, Mary. Oh, you've no idea what happened uh, to me. You've no idea what's happened either. They're on their way here. Who? Who's on their way? Oh, the police department? I don't. Uh, the FBI? The National Guard? I'm alive again, Mary. Oh, listen, Mary, I'm alive again. Oh yes, darling, yes. Now, now, close your eyes and, and come on downstairs. Oh, oh. What is it? Can't open my eyes yet, Mary? What's going on here? Now, now keep your eyes closed. Now, I'll just walk you over here by the Christmas tree and... Well, the people I hear, lots of people. What, what is it? Lots of people. Just one minute now. We're all ready, Uncle Billy. Come in, everybody. George, look. Just look. Uncle Billy. Money, George. A laundry basket filled with money. Money for you. Mary did it, George. Mary. I don't understand. What money? What... People heard you in trouble, darling. These people, your friends, they've collected this money for you. The $8,000. Charlie. Hey, there's Mar- there's Martini. Uh, Mr. Gower. Hey, how are you, Mr. Gower? Mrs. Thompson, Ed, Tom, everybody. Huh? None of us would have a roof over our heads if it wasn't for you, George. Oh, Garth, this is wonderful. Hey, Mary, look. Look who's coming in. Mother. Hi, Mother. Hey, and Harry. Got Mary's telegram, George. I flew in as fast as hey, I could. Hey, everybody, a toast. How about a toast? Oh, good idea, Ernie. A toast to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Daddy, my Christmas bell. You didn't forget. Forget? Here, honey. Here's your bell. Daddy. Darling, what's this on the table here? What's this the, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Lord, there's something written in it. Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings, love, Clarence. Clarence? Yeah, he's a very dear friend of mine. Daddy, this is well said. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, Zuzu. That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy, Clarence. Happy landing. It's 
so wonderful live so long as we can have such fine performances as we enjoyed tonight. From Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Victor Moore. Jimmy, I'd like to thank whatever guardian angel whisked you back from Texas for our show this evening. Well, that guardian angel was an airline's wing, uh, Bill. <laughs> you were in Texas for the premiere of this picture, weren't you, Jimmy? Yeah, Frank Capra and I went down for five openings as many nights. Pretty All good down there in Texas. In Texas, yeah. Texas Jimmy? yeah, every one of them. There are five premieres over Texas. You know, it's a pretty big state. Takes that many. To... <laughs> Jimmy, I'm sure your fans were proud to read that you received an honorary degree from Princeton just the other week. Yes, how about that, Jimmy? Do we call you professor now? No, 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 no. It's just an M.A. Oh, Master of Arts? Well, I don't, it might have been. I don't know. It might be for murdering architecture. That's what I studied. <laughs> Good, Good night. night. Good, Good night. night, and thanks a million. Lever Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday evening when the Lux Radio Theater presents Gene Tierney and Cornell Wilde in Leave Her to Heaven. This is William Keeley saying goodnight to you from Hollywood. The Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, as broadcast on the Lux Radio Theater in 1947. We're going to close this Christmas Eve recollection from the big broadcast with an even more classic classic, if that's possible, the original version of what went on to become, and still is, the best-selling single record of all time, recorded for the Decca label May 29, 1942, with the Ken Darby Singers and John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, it's Bing Crosby singing Irving Berlin's White Christmas. For co-producer Jill Arald Bailey and audio engineer Douglas Bell, this is Murray Horwitz, wishing you a safe, joyous, and meaningful holiday. Thanks for listening, and please join us for a Christmas night recollection tomorrow night at 8. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, good night, everybody.
ਸੁਸ ਵੀ